Hair is so overrated. Sure, at first it grows, but eventually it goes. Be Bald Men Care products have quickly risen to the top of the leaderboard when it comes to skin care for men without. Search the web for bald products and discover what your bald brethren already know. Be Bald products are the single source skin care solution for both your head and face. Listen to what our customers are saying. The Be Bald products are terrific. I'm not entirely bald, but I still use them on my head and my face, and they last an incredibly long time. My wife loves the scent. She said she'd follow it anywhere. I love the scent of the cleanser. I bought it for my boyfriend, and he liked it so much, I bought all the other B-Bald products, too. Thanks, B-Bald. You rock. Go to B-Bald.com right now to receive an additional 20% off just for trying us. Type in coupon code B-Bald at checkout. That's B-E-E-B-A-L-D. This offer is only for a limited time. Go to B-Bald.com. That's B-E-E-B-A-L-D.com now. Oh, Welcome to Phone Booth Fighting. He is the two-time UFC heavyweight champion, Frank Mir. I am Richard Hunter, and we do this for you now twice weekly. That's right. New episodes every Tuesday and Friday, my friends. Phoneboothfighting.com is the website. You can get the episodes there. You can also subscribe in iTunes or on Stitcher Radio. And uh, if you're on our iTunes page, please do us a favor. Do Frank and myself a favor, won't you? We uh, provide the show absolutely free. If you uh, would just take a moment, click on the five-star rating for us. That will keep us uh, at the top of the iTunes rankings on the charts, and we certainly appreciate that. If you have a moment, write us a uh, favorable review. We appreciate that. We love to read those five-star reviews on the show. we got a couple later on we'll share with you. But above and beyond anything else, you know what you can do for us? Just tell a friend. Tell a friend about phone booth fighting in this podcast that we do, and we would certainly appreciate that. We have a lot to get to this week. We need to welcome all the new KISS fans, Frank, because um, as a result of our appearance at uh, Paul Stanley's house last week, he co-hosted an episode with us, episode 35 of Phone Booth Fighting. Not only were we breaking news in the rock world, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but uh, KISS uh, retweeted the link to the episode a couple of times, actually, from their Twitter account. So I've been watching our social media. You can, of course, follow us on Twitter at Phone Booth Fight, Snapchat Phone Booth Fight as well, and Instagram Phone Booth Fighting. And uh, we're hearing from KISS fans for the first time now all over the world who've been turned on to the podcast as a result of Paul Stanley's appearance last week. So we got to uh, we got to welcome those folks as well. It's been quite a week. Can you it believe it? has been. Yeah. Yeah. We had a trip to L.A. We had uh, we had a that big. That was uh, packed full of stuff. It was. We Do, do I, I don't work you too hard. Do I on those? No, not too bad. Plus, I don't really have to do much besides just talk. So. Yeah. Yeah. I know. But I just I, I, I don't want you to think it's not lost on me that. I'm trying to cram as much activity and or broadcasting into the the time that we're on the road no, as possible. So. You let me even take naps in between? I mean, you let me sit outside in cars taking naps where people have been famously uh, assassinated. <laughs> But uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If a uh, quick callback to a couple of episodes ago, uh, before we get into the content for this week, if you don't know this story, the uh, the first trip that Frank and I, first road trip we took to L.A. Uh, I don't know a couple couple of six or eight weeks ago now. 
you were, I mean, you were soldiering uh, ahead. Uh, you, you were a real trooper on the trip. We were doing a ton of, of press to promote phone booth fighting. We did Fighter and the Kid. We did Joey Diaz's podcast. And I think it was right before we did Joey's. This was like on day two. And we had done all this media and, and we had about an hour to kill before Joey's. And we stopped at a little coffee place down the street from his place. And I could see you were starting to fade. You're sitting there at the table. I could see your, your eyelids were getting heavy. I said, well, you know what? Here is the keys to the Prius. Why don't you just go take a nap for a few minutes? It's fine. Very gracious of you. You go out there and you do it. And unbeknownst to me until I went out to the car to get you, I see you uh, crashed out in the passenger seat of my car. I'm parked on this side street. And I look up and I see the sign for Vitello's restaurant. Now, what what is significant about that is that is the restaurant where actor Robert Blake took his deceased wife, Bonnie Lee Bakley, and Blakely was her last name, and she somehow was mysteriously shot in the passenger side of their car in the basically the exact same spot yeah. you were parked in outside like, the Thanks, restaurant. buddy. Good looking out. <laughs> Yeah, I'm boy. like, look, there's another way to get hits on our podcast. That's right. That's right. Uh, <laughs> Having me shot. <laughs> yeah, that it would be a uh, short lived. It you would know? be short term payoff. Yes. You're right. You're right. Short term payoff. Uh, anyway, so that was. Uh, for we don't have few... enough of the uh, history tapes. We can't do like a Tupac and keep releasing the podcast right. for two can't, years can't do posthumously. A... Here, that's a great point. That's a great point. You have to wait a couple more yet. years before you off me. Yeah, we're not there yet. <laughs> Uh, you, uh, anyway, uh, uh, shout out to our sponsors as well. Uh, we need to thank real water, get real at drinkrealwater.com. Also be bald, be bald.com. You do not have to be bald to enjoy the quality skincare products at be bald.com. Uh, myself and Frank are both uh, a testament to that. I shave with them every day and, uh, I thank them. I enjoy the be bald products. Also Trent Cotney, trentcotney.com supporting mixed martial artists, the world over. We've got a, uh, fight night card to talk about here. We're going to get into that momentarily. UFC fight night 89 is going down this Saturday in Ottawa. Big implications in the main and co-main events for the UFC's welterweight division. Looking forward to, uh, this fight card. And uh, some other things that uh, we will get into talking about as well. Um, first off, and uh, boy, sadly, I mean, I don't know how I can get any heavier than this, but uh, the news of just uh, for us the last 24 hours here coming out of uh, Orlando, this mass shooting, the, uh, the deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history, Frank, uh, Omar Mateen goes down to the Pulse club in orlando uh, a gay club hotspot down there kills 49 people over a period of a couple hours basically just takes the place under siege and injures uh, about that many again uh so all totaled uh, in excess of, of 100 people affected to, to varying degrees and uh the gunman has killed himself by a swat team when they uh, raid the place in the the early morning hours uh couple things here uh the guy calls 911 pledges allegiance to isis and uh and and radical islam um he bought his guns legally uh not completely clear on which guns were used yet in the shooting but it is known that he was able to purchase guns uh legally he is an American citizen. His parents are uh, from Afghanistan, but uh, he's a U.S. citizen born in New York. 
And uh, so you got a couple things at play here. Uh, weapons, obviously, um, high-capacity uh, uh, firearms, and also uh, radical religion, something that uh, you and I talk a lot about on the yeah. show. Uh, you know, I guess your thoughts first, and then uh, and then then I'll weigh in uh, with mine. But but obviously we <laughs> well, got a complicated topic. story here. Yeah, an onion of a story, or so many layers yeah. to it. Uh, everybody's gonna, I think, right now is going to be hitting the different topics. Like you know, obviously gun control is going to be at the forefront of it. Uh, you know, uh, the extreme uh, Muslim, uh, you know, religion and ISIS is group. You know, uh, how we are approaching that in our country, and. Uh, you know, a topic, too, that I hope is really uh, not forgotten in all this is uh, how we approach mental health in our country, mm-hmm. how we identify people and, uh, and, uh, and, and provide assistance. I think that uh, that's still a very much of a problem in our country, and I understand why. Uh, if somebody uh, is paralyzed, you know, uh, paralegic, Paraplegic, and we immediately identify that this person is going to have special needs. You wouldn't, uh, you know, uh, have a problem with them installing a, a ramp in a building, uh, and having codes and whatnot to help them with their disabilities. Yeah. But uh, since mental health is something we can't see, someone sits there and tells you, "I have a problem," you know. Uh, I'm having issues or whatever the case may be. I think we have too much of an approach at times. Where it's like, well, you know, don't we all, you know, we all have rough days, suck it up, you know, be tough. And uh, this is a very much of an error in your thinking. Um, when your mind is not right and the brain is not functioning properly, that's the tool that you're asking the person to use to overcome their problem. We're not talking about, you know, you have a hairline fracture in your foot and you got a mile left to push in a race. You're not talking about a guy who, has, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you feel something pop in your hand during a fight and you're just going to try to bite down on your mouthpiece and work through it. Uh, that's your mental fortitude, that's your mind that is allowing you to push through that injury. But when the injury is your mind, how do you push through it? It needs to be identified and, and you need help. And uh, I don't think we have a lot of sympathy in this country at times. And I don't want to just generalize, and you know, but I feel that in general, you know, we do. Uh, I guess I am generalizing. We don't have the same sympathy and, and, and outreach, and we're not willing to afford the, our taxes of and, and establishing mental health facilities uh, and having uh, that type of uh, network in place to identify people that have mental issues. Because uh, at the peak of what I think the problem was is not even, uh, obviously, uh, we can sit there and argue about firearms. People are going to bring in different arguments back and forth on both sides of it. Uh, I tend not to dig my heels in. I'm not that guy. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, I am pro-firearm. I-, I like guns. But I'm always open to the topic of discussion when we talk about any kind of uh restriction of firearms and and why Mm -hmm. you sit there i'm a a stats guy you want to sit there and explain to me why that's going to improve my life and the life of my fellow citizen i'm all ears man let's talk you know i i don't want to be entrenched on a topic and only want to filter through information that supports what i think and and blindly avoid things that maybe uh you know draw into uh issues of any of my opinions or thoughts that i hold i think that being fluid is uh is an intelligent thing Mm -hmm. i think when you sit there and you have ideas that you're like well uh, guns only or or on the other i hate guns no matter what 
I tend to find people don't seem to be very open to listening to the counter argument. Uh, and then even on religion, uh, people are going to bring in the fact, oh, it's another you know terrorist act by somebody who's an extreme Muslim. Um, you know, there's millions of Muslims out there. <laughs> They're not all blowing places up. To sit there and, and, and put this as a Muslim issue, it'd be the same as saying that, well, you know, Christians are assholes. Uh, those West Barrow, West Barrow uh, Baptist yeah. Church guys, they go and picket, you know, dead uh, soldiers' funerals. It's like, well, no, that's a particular group fracture of a Christian group. Mm-hmm. Uh, to generalize all Christians as the West Barrow uh, Baptist Church would be a fallacy. Uh, I, I really feel that you have a person who is mentally unstable, and uh, people around him, if they are really honest with themselves and look back upon their interactions with him, uh, somebody could have probably identified this and maybe forwarded it to it. But that being said, because of kind of the status quo of our country, would have anything even been done about it? Had somebody came forward and said, hey, my buddy, my husband, my son, whoever, you know, the guy's maybe not in the right situation right now, Maybe somebody wants to come in. I mean, you make that phone call. Who's really going to show up? Who's going to come out and, and and maybe lend assistance? And what kind of assistance would it even be? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that would probably go a long way into fixing uh, situations like this where you have a mass shooting. I, I can't think of a mass shooter that you would not follow or fall under the category of somebody who is gravely uh mentally disturbed there's something wrong with them we're not talking about violence in a situation where a guy you know got pissed at another guy at a bar and also pulled out his firearm and shot him nobody who would you know this wasn't a road rage situation where it's the heat of the moment you had somebody that calculated this out there's no way there weren't signs i just don't believe that there had to have been signs and there had to have been identifying factors going on this and um people around him and and we as a society uh dropped the ball you know, the bringing up the mental health aspect of it, uh, I think is a very important point, and it's actually one that, aside from you, I haven't heard a lot of people talk about. You know, the the this guy had twice been looked at by the FBI. He was being looked at for ties to terrorist groups, and even though they may have decided that the the evidence or the ties were inconclusive or ultimately nothing to concern themselves about at that point, to your point, did they not identify some mental instability at that point? And if there was mental instability, it seems like that's the point, like you're saying. In addition to the, 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 hopefully you've got some, some family structure, some friends who can identify these problems. Coworkers now are saying this guy was off his rocker. I think the dad is part of the problem because he's a little nutty as well. But, you know, from the coworkers to the FBI, how about those trained professionals looking at that and, and you know, saying, even if they're saying, okay, there's not enough to ship him off to Guantanamo Bay, can we not look at him and see that this guy's unhinged? You know, that, yeah. that there's some, some things that are concerning but, and, and how, do, how do we treat that? But I, I mean, maybe somebody who's listening to the show, because I've been trying to look through just on the internet on my own to try to, you know, first when this first topic first came up, uh, you know, obviously I'm looking at gun laws, you know, back and forth arguments. You know, Australia is constantly brought up. Well, you know, they, after their, uh, their mass shooting in 96, the individual killed over 30 people, um, you know, they went through in, uh, in 96 decided to ban all firearms or ban firearms and so they went through and you know buyback system and basically essentially just took everybody's guns from them Mm -hmm. uh you know then i I start looking at the arguments like well okay well obviously 
gun-related deaths are going to go down if you take away guns. But, th- but that'd be the same way as passing a, a law that bans pools. Uh, if I ban pools in my city, I'm pretty sure that we're going to have less drowning deaths. Right. You know, because, well, lack of access to pools, people aren't going to have the same accident. But when you have a situation like a mass shooting thing, that's not an accident. That's somebody who has malicious intent that has issues with their morality and their viewpoints and a lack of empathy and they're unstable. And obviously, uh, firearms are going to make their job that much easier to inflict damage. Um, but you get a guy who's motivated enough. I mean, look what the Boston bombers were able to do with a lot of household products and a, uh, uh, a kitchen, uh, pot. Mm -hmm. Um, they were motivated to take people out and they did. So, um, goes back to me, uh, thinking about mental issues. Uh, so that being said, you know, I'm trying to figure out what's going on, but I keep falling on the point of if I sit there just like a fighter, I'm going to look at what statistically is going to help me the most. Obviously, gains can be met through almost anything you do. You go out and just run before a fight, your cardio is going to prove, but is that the percentage of cardio for what you need? We see now through our training, doing anything has a change. But there is a, such a thing as trying to approach things scientifically and, and, and critically and look at it from a pragmatic point of view going, okay, where can I get the most bang for my buck? Mm-hmm. If I'm going to invest and I have to pay taxes, where do I want them to invest money? Do I want them to use this money to do a buyback program? I think the last stat I was looking at said there's like over 300 million guns in the U.S., you know, uh, I'm like, all right, you know, how much of an advantage is that going to be to take away? That's a lot of guns and, you know how many guys are doing mass shootings. So I look at it going, well, you know, if you use my tax money towards having a structure set up, an infrastructure for identifying people that are problematic, that have issues. And not only just because a guy goes out and does a mass shooting, but people that commit suicide, people that do all kinds of atrocities. Typically I find that like, well, the guy wasn't right. And those identifying factors that they weren't right. Who was, you know, where could we even turn to? Is there, I mean, I know if someone's smashing my back window of my car, you know, if we call 911, I know the police will show up. If my neighbor's house is on fire, I know that a fire department, I know who to go to for who to get help. And I know that there's a system in place to assist me with my house is on fire. But if my brother comes up to me and I'm like, man, what are you talking about? What? Yeah, man, I really think the government, you know, they're doing this and water and chemicals and chemtrails. And if he says some really crazy things to me, he goes, man, I'm going to pack up. And, you know, I mean, you know, you know, what was that guy's record? You know, it's like, whoa, what are we talking about? You know, like, I don't even begin to know who I would call. Mm-hmm. You know, who do you call? Like, who do you even identify this person to and not have a blowback where like, well, yeah, the, now I'm going to have the FBI at his house and he's going to be stuck in a hole for the next six months. That's not really making me feel like I want to reach out and help a loved one. Yeah. But can he go to a hospital and and see a doctor? There's not really an abundance of resources. Right. So when I sit there again and go, well, what are we going to do? We're going to take action. I'm like, all right, then if we're going to take action, let's just not make this political about, well, I have a pro-gun, anti-gun, pro-religion, anti-religion agenda. And how can I make this uh, tragedy help motivate and spur on my personal agenda 
um, I really see that I'm like, well, how could I most help out to make sure that this doesn't happen in the future or happens as little as we can possibly make this? You know, I know from fighting, you can never make something perfect. Mm -hmm. There is no such thing. But how can I up the statistic? How can I improve my odds of this not reoccurring? I keep going back to we don't do enough for mental health. We don't. I think that's a great starting point because that is a preemptive measure you know that is not treating the consequence that is treating the symptom and it's like when you you know you want to dam a river you don't stand down at the gulf where it empties out into the ocean and try to build a, a gigantic dam you go much closer up to the source to to stop it when it's much more of a a tributary, yeah. you know, before it's a, it's a, it's a gigantic raging well, body of water. It's funny. My dad's very much into Zen. And one of the stories he told me was about, a, uh, there's three physicians in old time, uh, you know, China and the emperor, you know, wanted to talk to the physician, you know, and it basically came down to, you know, I'm giving the real short <laughs> version yeah. of the story. He's talking to the guy and the guy goes, you know, um, my brother, the oldest one, you know, he's the greatest. Well, why is he the greatest? Well, you'll never hear about him. How come I don't know who this guy is? He stops disease before it ever starts. Mm. And then he talks about his middle brothers in the middle starts at its early stages. And the, the youngest brother, hey, he was on the most famous of all. I cure the disease itself, but I'm famous because people see what I'm doing. Yeah. Essentially what you're saying, it's like if I'm the guy that puts out the match before it starts the forest fire, how many uh, news circles am I going to be hitting? You know, How many networks am I going to be on? That Here we had it tonight, the man who put the match out that could have possibly started a fire that took took away hundreds of homes and you know hundreds of square miles of uh, uh, forestry uh, but the guy that goes out there and fights it head on the the, the at its peak that's what's going to get the glory and uh, you see it even now i mean look at vaccinations how many people now have decided not to vaccinate their children cuz we on this country have basically you know have eliminated so many diseases that people have to face in third world countries but we're like well you know we we you know we don't see that as an issue anymore. I mean, who's really getting polio? It's like, yeah, because we all get vaccinated, buddy. Right. You know, and now you're having cases with measles at an all-time high and yeah. smallpox where, you know, centers of uh, groups of people that are choosing to be anti-vaccination are now seeing this problem. It's like, well, because it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. Like, it was working, you know. But because you weren't curing diseases, you were preventing them, uh, people kind of got comfortable. And so, again, instead of going in there and having a, like, how do we stop the guy when he's at, you know, you know, well, should we have had everybody armed in the club, you know, or maybe we should just take away the guns in the first place he never could have got to. That's kind of handling the end problem. It's like, well, what about the beginning of the issue? Yeah. When that guy, that brother, that coworker is just not right. Well, let's let's talk about that. That let's fast forward then and talk about what to do about the the guns because I I, I think we have interesting perspectives here. You're a a well documented gun enthusiast. You you own guns. You have the uh, the, the proper permits to carry them and all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, you'll carry guns on you on your your person wherever permitted. Uh, here are the things that concern me about the, the, the situation, both specifically with what happened in Orlando and then in general. Uh, number one, uh, licensing firearms, a registry. 
I think you have to have that. And the reason I think that's important is for the same reason that uh, your car is registered, the same reason it's got a license plate, the same reason you have a driver's license number, so that if you uh, uh, hit and run someone and, and kill them, like what happened to the, the, the Bellator fighter, uh, sadly, a couple of weeks ago, we can find you, right? I mean, imagine if there was no registry. Imagine if you that's just some car, it's a white car that has no license plate on it, the person driving it doesn't have a license, they don't have insurance, there's no registry. Boy, it's needle in a haystack finding that person. So I, I think I it's in, and you are handling something that is potentially a lethal weapon, a car just like a gun. You know, I think if you've well, got and some And a firearm is only has that function. It's not like a car True. where it exactly. provides a yes. transportation yes. Right. and can be used as a deadly weapon. Right. Um, a firearm is first and foremost, right. it's a weapon. So it's, that's, you know, whether you use it for hunting yeah. or whatnot, it's meant to take life. It's meant to put things down. So, yeah. so that's number one for me in terms of, of a registry. Then, then I also favor uh, a waiting period. Here's the reason for that. It eliminates the crime of passion. Now, it doesn't necessarily fix it with this guy because I think he was planning to do this uh, further than 10 days ago. But as far as a normal functioning brain and a person's angry, yep, and they're going to come back to their senses eventually, I'm for that too. Yep. And we do have waiting periods and we do have, you know, here in Vegas, if you wanted to go buy a firearm right now, especially your first time purchasing, um, you're not going to walk out with that hun gun. It, right. it takes, you know. There is some of that, but the problem is we still have things like gun show loopholes. That's um, actually a myth. Did you know that? That there's no that there's a gun show loophole. No, there's no gun show loophole. If you have an FFL, which is a federal firearms license, say I have an FFL. Okay. If I go to a gun show and I put my guns on display, you come up and buy that gun. I, unless I lose my license, have to still run you. Yes, but you could sell it to me in the parking lot, though. Not as a, as an FFL holder. The person who can sell you that gun in the parking lot yeah. is a private citizen that doesn't have an FFL. But, so okay, but I that's, can. But that's what I'm gun shows. To, well, I know, but the whole gun show thing, I think, is a is a misnomer. It's misleading. People think, oh, you can go to a gun show. Like, no. Right now, I can go to any private citizen and have a private citizen to private citizen sale. Yeah. So right now, I can put in a Craigslist. I can do right. it right now. Pop in. Hey, I have a 308. I want to get rid of. You show up to my house, you give me the cash, I give you the weapon, you walk off. I have no idea who you are. Yeah. There is no paper trail. What do you think about that? I don't agree with it. I don't yeah. like it. Then we're uh, in the same place on yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, because to me, it's got, to, and even this guy, look, people are going to say uh, Omar Mateen, you know, he was able to buy these guns uh, legally, and there's going to be two different ways to look at that argument. Some people are going to say the restrictions should have been higher. Some people are going to say, oh, but see, there was nothing in his uh, application process that flagged him, so that that is pointless. I tend to look at, it's like you said, looking at statistics. I look at, well, what could it hurt? So, so for example, in this takes me to my next point uh high capacity uh ammunition magazine clips okay now i know you to uh at times carry uh multiple weapons on you mm -hmm. but as far as i understand uh that is not a uh, assault rifle shoved down your pants i think you're just happy to see me right it's not a uh and, and the point being because you and i've had this discussion that what high capacity magazine clips allow you to allow somebody to do is to be uh more destructive and be a bad shot uh, i agree with you. right okay so so in order to it takes more training to be good with fewer rounds right okay so let's so say, if you have somebody yeah. that doesn't know what they're doing with a firearm mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. um, reloading under pressure, malfunction of a firearm, keeping the thing running. Those are uh, uh, skills that you have to train and acquire. Um, you know, having a 30 round magazine, you know, especially in a Glock where it sticks out, you know, uh, to me, at best, it's a novelty item. Um, most of the guys I know that are trained uh, gunfighters, they don't need it. Uh, yeah. It's really beneficial to a guy who wants to walk into a movie theater who doesn't know what he's doing, and mm-hmm. now he has a lot more time before he has to reload. Yeah, so let's say let's say we're in that club in Orlando. We're the good guys, okay? You're, let's say you're, you're able to... Uh, carry your firearms in because you know that's a that's a big there's a lot of people who argue for the elimination of gun-free zones that's a big libertarian thing right now you know it's we shouldn't have any gun-free zone so let's say that that's the case and let's say you frank Mir, you're the good guy you and i are going to the uh pulse nightclub uh 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 and we're in there and that guy comes in, the Omar Mateen, right? Now, you've got the firearms on you so that if something like that does happen, you're able to take him out. But you're telling me you don't need the high-capacity magazine clip because you're not going to need to mow down everybody in the place. You're going to need to take him out. And No, actually, more important for somebody, I think, who's trained mm-hmm. is to maybe have an extra magazine on them. Mm-hmm. And it's not so much for the purpose of having extra rounds, um, but it's for keeping your firearm functioning. Because if a firearm malfunctions a handgun, mm-hmm. uh, I go and I pull in and I push the, pull the trigger and, and, and something malfunctions with the firearm, one of the things that I can do to keep it running is after you know is to to insert a new magazine. Yeah. Because there might be a faulty magazine in it. Uh, if I have a misfire, there's different types of malfunctions. Where having a secondary magazine is crucial to me having my firearm run again. Mm-hmm. So we're not talking about having extra bullets. I'm just talking about having the bullets. You know, if the firearm doesn't fire and function properly, we're going to have problems defending myself. Okay. So there is, and in this situation in in Orlando, there is somebody in that position because there was an off-duty police officer who's working security that actually opened fire on the guy. Now, the guy, uh, Mateen, was able to retreat into a club bathroom, but I think the point is is that that off-duty police officer, whether he had the uh, the gun that had however many round, eight, well, however many rounds they have in it, him having an assault rifle uh, with a high-capacity clip would not have helped him any better in taking this no. guy out. The guy but the fact that there was an individual there who was trained with a handgun probably, I mean, I know that 49 is a very high number, but uh, that individual, you know, Martin, obviously was now running to the restroom to save his own ass. Yep. Uh, he wasn't pulling the trigger and shooting even more people. Mm-hmm. So I, I know it's going to be hard to quantify how many lives that that probably saved, but that's my argument for not taking guns away from people that are law-abiding. You know, right. He's not a citizen as an off-duty officer, but people in the right situation can help out. But it kind of goes back to that, too, that when we sit there and we, we see when a gun is misused, it makes front-page news. There's thousands of situations where a firearm is used as just as a deterrent. You know, a guy walks into a, your wife's car, you know, and he has bad intentions, and all of a sudden she draws the firearm. He sees the gun. Um, most people in any kind of criminal background will let you know that criminals look for victims. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden now your wife doesn't look like a victim. She didn't have to kill anybody, didn't have to shoot anybody. She has some training, some confidence on how to deploy the firearm. She pulls it out. He walks off. Is that going to make the news? No, no one's going to talk yeah, about that. Right. But that's a positive influence on how handguns or proper usage of firearms 
can be for the good. Mm -hmm. It just that it doesn't outweigh. I mean, that can happen a thousand times on Sunday, but what happened the one time in Orlando, that's going to be talked about forever because that is a much bigger story. And obviously it's more compelling that this psychopath did what he did. And I think it makes sense. I don't think anybody's arguing the fact that it was a good idea to have an off-duty police officer there who uh, responds appropriately to the situation. He's able to back the guy into the bathroom. But I think a couple of things to take into consideration there is that if the uh, the perpetrator, if Mateen had not had the, the uh, assault weapon, then he would have taken out fewer people on his way as he was retreating back yeah, to the bathroom. So, so that gets us to that point. Now let's talk about... Certain firearms are not necessary for self-defense. Yeah. Uh, and I agree with you. You're just preaching to the choir. I sit there. There's certain firearms that I have that are essential for me when I think about, okay, that's for self-defense. That's uh -huh. for me if... I had to defend my wife, my children, my household, you know, and different firearms fit different criteria. Like, okay, this is for me to defend my family in this situation. Well, why don't you carry that gun? Well, because I can't walk around with that one. I'm going to carry this one. It's smaller. It's not as powerful or not as, you know, as capable of, of, of doing uh, you know, the damage I need to be done to protect my life or the life of my loved ones. But, you know, for, you know, it's concealable, it's carryable, uh, carry, you know, I can carry it. Uh, whereas, uh, you know, in my home, if someone knocks, you know, in my back door, I'm not grabbing my handgun, I'm going to grab my long rifle. Mm -hmm. The weapon that very essentially that individual used in that massacre is a weapon that I would use to defend my household because now I don't know how many people are coming through my back door. I don't know who's there. And I want a weapon that's going to, you know, now I don't have to worry about not concealing it i'm worried now about i want a functioning weapon to to protect myself and my loved ones where do you come in on the idea well I, and finishing off that yeah i have 80 percent of my firearms are not for self-defense yeah they're because i like guns but you're I, admitting that yeah no and i'll tell yeah, people that yeah i have certain guns right now if we open up the, my uh, gun vault and you look in it you'll be like what's that for i'm like because mm -hmm. it's cool yeah i enjoy it i like it it's fun Mm -hmm. Really? Yes. There's no purpose. I mean, you sit there. I, I've had a few friends that are telling me, they're like, well, no, you know, we need weapons because, you know, the government, you know, what if they come mm -hmm. after us? And I'm like looking at them. I'm like, buddy, you couldn't walk across the street without fucking uh, being out of breath. You're telling me that if 12 Rangers come through our front door right now, I can give you an AK-47 and, and with a 30 round magazine and you're doing shit? Yeah. No, you're not. They're going to come down with a Bradley or at worst now, you know, they'll just send a, a drone in and kill you. I mean, come on, man. Well, that's We're not thing. defending yeah, ourselves yeah. from our government. Yeah. That is that it's, part of warfare. This is not the 1700s yeah. where you could put together a militia and maybe fight off the government. That's yeah. not happening. This now, isn't guys. the redcoats coming door no, to door. And by not. the way, Frank, you know, I'm always I always point out too, those are the same guys who who don't have a password on their home internet. Yes. Like that, or that's I even make more fun of you. when a guy tells me about all the guns he has throughout his house and I'm like yeah. listening, I'm like so how many fire extinguishers you have? Mm. And they're like, what? I'm like, well, I have a monoxide detector, I have my you know, my fire detectors, and I have six fire extinguishers in my home. 
because my house most likely is going to be damaged by a fire before it is a burglar. Yeah, those are your so, statistics. So there's statistics. So yeah. I am worried about the safety of my family. So I worry about realistically what could happen. Now, look, home invasions, they happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father was with Metro for a long time. Uh, my mother works for 911 for dispatch. I get to hear about all the horror stories that never make the news. Every day, someone's house here in Vegas, someone's kicking down a door and doing something bad to people. Mm. I've first-hand account of people that had their houses robbed where their wife got tied up on a bed and raped while they had to watch. They were very up, not pro-gun, and they had no way of even beginning to defend themselves. Now, that being said, I'm not saying that just because you had a gun, were you in the right position to get to it? Were you half asleep? Maybe not. But man, I want that fighting chance. I want to know that I could possibly defend myself. You know, it's like training martial arts. I train. I like to know I can handle myself in a fight. That doesn't mean that if someone taps my shoulder in a bar and I turn around, they can't clock me and catch me. Mm-hmm. Well, then why even be, you know, practice defending yourself at all? Well, because I want to know I give myself the greatest chance of survival as possible. You're right. Nothing's foolproof. Even if I have a weapon, a guy can walk right up to me like the girl that happened in Orlando the day before. Or was yeah, it, uh, the singer. The singer. The voice singer. Yeah. I don't care if she had three bodyguards there with packing heat. I know how long it takes to pull out your firearm and deploy it if you're not ready. We're not at a, a range mm-hmm. where I'm waiting for the, the, the buzzer to go beep and I'm going to draw. Um, I'm sitting there. We're talking, shooting the shit, and all of a sudden someone pulls out a gun. You're most likely going to get shot if they mm-hmm. know what they're doing. If you know they caught you with your you know pants down. So, but that being said, don't have bodyguards. Don't try to yeah. protect yourself because inevitably it's could be a situation where you can't. Well, I mean, seatbelts don't save your life. There's no guarantee, but they definitely improve your percentages. As far as I've heard, I put my seatbelt on. No guarantee. People get pulled out of cars that had their seatbelt on, still died. It's nice to have it there though. And I think what the problem here is, is that while so many people are talking about the, the, the second part of what we've been talking about so far, which is the, the reaction, the, the consequence, the should we be armed? How many guns should we have? What should be the, where should we be able to carry them? Where should we not be able to carry them? So few people are talking about the cause of this to begin with, which is the mental instability. This is not some yeah. otherwise completely right in the head, stable person who just had a bad day yeah, and, and then that, flew off the handle. And that goes to talking about religion or ISIS. That's where yeah. I was headed. And, and so people are going to sit there, oh, it's ISIS. I'm like, no, this kid was crazy. Yeah. He found something that he wanted to, you know, in my mind, and I could be completely wrong, he was this kind of person to begin with. Whatever mm-hmm. happened, you know, whatever in his brain uh, misfired and malfunctioned, and he did not have a fully functioning brain. There's something wrong with him, and he found an outlet to identify with to give him a little bit of direction, but he was a psychopath. There was something wrong with him. The fact that he pulled up the ISIS as, you know, the Pledge of Allegiance to them, it's like, well, I mean, people are going to find things to pledge themselves to that are nuts to begin with. I don't really think it works the other way around. I don't think right now if we had an ISIS, you know, sitting here and preaching off his propaganda to you and I, uh, I'm not after an hour going to look at you and go, you know what, man? Go open the gun safe. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and you know we're gonna we're gonna do some damage because you and I, for the most part, you more <laughs> have fully functioning brains. That's not going to influence me to go kill people. Let's talk about the religious component of this because um, this this is probably I think for a lot of people the most uncomfortable part of it 
it's easy to identify or it's easy to point the finger specifically at this particular brand of 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 radical religious uh, indoctrination, but not to really examine the component of of religion in general as it pertains to this. Here's where I'm going. So just coincidentally, Saturday night, I guess, is, as uh, all this stuff was, was going down, you and I were at, at dinner for, for uh, your, your wife's birthday and group of people <laughs> together and everything. Yeah. By the way, you know, you and I, we, we were not sitting next to each other. We were within earshot of each other. But, but well, I knew you, that it was going to get bad if you came over and sat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they split the wife would have been mad. They, they knew, like, let's put these two away from each other. <laughs> yeah, they split us up. But I heard you you almost getting into a little something down on your end of the table. And uh, I was talking to uh, uh, one of her friends down on uh, my end of the table. It was, it was very nice. We had a great conversation. But she was asking me about uh, about religion. It came up that, that you and I are both atheists atheists and all this and i remember she said to me she goes now she goes do you have um do you have are you able to have like a, a friendship with somebody who's you know a person of faith and i was like oh yeah yeah i got plenty of them you know and she goes well how do you you know how do you, does it ever come up does the conversation ever come up do you avoid it and i'm like oh no no i i try to talk them out of it uh but we just talked <laughs> she, she laughed too you know but but i said no i do you know that's that's okay just like they would try to get me to subscribe to their their faith if we were sharing some ideas, but here's what I will say about this situation. The, as, re, as it pertains to religion, the first problem with this guy is that he is being guided by an invisible force. The second problem with this guy as it pertains to religion is that he has a very radical viewpoint of it. The reason that I split those two into different categories is that's not to say that just because you're believing in the invisible man, that the invisible man is telling you to kill people. I recognize the fact that there are plenty of people who have the first component of the belief without the second component. Mm -hmm. That's most people, and that's awesome. I hope it stays that way. But it cannot be denied that without the first part of the component, you would not have the second part of the component. I think there's a quote out there. We'll have to look it up. Or uh, someone had said that, oh, man, I wish I could remember who we can address it to, but basically saying that there were assholes that are religious mm -hmm. and there's assholes that are non-religious mm -hmm. and there's good guys that are religious and there's good people that are uh, non-religious, yeah. but saying that it takes religion to make a good guy do some asshole shit. Yeah. I mean, certainly on this level, because I think what happens is I think this is the real, this is the real point of no return for a lot of these folks. When you get so fixated and so caught up in, and this was the, the, the thought that I was, I was sharing with uh, Jennifer's friend at dinner Saturday night, I said, where I get concerned is if, if you're telling me that, that the totality of your religion is to be the best person you can be and treat uh, others the way you would like to be treated, I, that's what I do. I'm not even in your club, and I do that. I think that's a great— This is a good concept to live by. No, it's fantastic. It's just—when I, I, we get into the, the talking snake part of it, that's, that's the part where I'm, I'm not subscribing, but I just don't even think we need that. I think if you're, just, if you're telling me the, the, the approach we're going to take to being compassionate human beings in this life, I'm interested. It's when we get to talking about what may or may not be in the next life that I think you're uh, misplacing your priorities. And when it goes to an extreme, when it becomes 
okay, if I commit this unspeakable mass murder that there's a paradise awaiting me and there's uh, 72 virgins and I'm, I'm, you know, winning the favor of the invisible man who guides my life and all that sort of thing. That's where I think well, something has happened in your life here and now that you're, you're so hopeless, you're so miserable, you're so unstable, uh, you, you have so little to live for or to, to comprehend or appreciate that you're just moving on to hoping there's something out there in the great beyond. Yeah. And at that point, that's where I think you are a, a liability to society, yes. and that is not just radical Islam. That is well, that is there is a number of different gods and faiths and things that you can have that if you're if you're all sold on that idea that you know what, it's not about the here and now. It's I gotta I gotta get to dead as quick as I can so I can start enjoying all that other stuff that's where you're a problem yeah to reiterate exactly what you're saying and put in different terms uh, I'm a big believer I know you are also uh, it's kind of the reasons we really uh, mesh is uh, I think one of the most fundamental skills that like I can pass on to my children uh, are tools not so much concepts because concepts and facts and ideas um, change they 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 have to be fluid as we grow and develop and as we age and as we mature as a, as a culture and as a race things that we take for granted now take slight edges and curves but the one thing that i know that could always be passed on that you know if you say hey your children are going to be good at one thing that they can take from you what would it be i'd be like oh critical thinking oh yeah being logical about information given to them. Mm -hmm. And so that way that when new information is put in front of them, they try to dissect and break it down. And now it's not foolproof. We make mistakes. That's why we go back and go, well, you know, I used to think this. Now I think that with this new information that's come my way. I'm going to, well, this experience here, you know, I'm going to go this way now. Because you're constantly reevaluating and breaking yourself down through critical thinking. The problem I've always kind of had with religion is that you have to suspend critical thinking at some level because for you to be religious, you have to have faith. Faith is a belief in something without proof because if you get proof, you have knowledge. So that's the whole thing. And they almost take pride in the fact, well, I believe without any proof that shows strength. I'm like, man, I don't know. We have different definitions of strength, but you're right. That takes determination. I mean, that's one way to put it. I mean, you know, holding on to a brick while you're being, you know, sinking to the depths of the ocean, that takes some mental fortitude that's too. Commitment. That's some commitment. <laughs> um, I'm not going to be envious of you just because you can hold the brick and I'm sitting there going like, no, I'm going to let go. This seems like a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to drown. And so... That's the part that scares me at times. And, and I think some people, I think the majority of guys, my friends of ours that are religious, they just don't think too much about it. And yes. you know, they just don't go there because I think if they did go there and really delve into it, they're going to have to, there's a lot of cultural, a lot of family that's ingrained with their religion that's going to have to come to a head where they're like, you know, I'd rather just not even worry about it and think about it. I show up at church on Sunday. Hey, great, whatever. I don't hurt nobody. It makes me a better person. I'm like, hey, all right, cool, works for me. But the part that makes religion scary on its extreme levels is the fact that, again, it's based upon a faith, a belief in something. So, I mean, somebody was able to tell you something and you're going to believe it. And when you said, give me proof, they said, you got to have faith. 
that's scary for certain minds because there's that one crazy dude now that you can go ahead and he can be manipulated. He can be spoken to. Who do you think ISIS preys on? That's yeah. the guys that are walking into places and blowing themselves up. It's somebody that was given, uh, you know, they obviously their critical thinking skills were not that sharp. They sit there go, so I wear this, pull the pen, mm -hmm. blow and kill a bunch of people, the infidels, and I get the 72 virgins or, you know, mm -hmm. my family, you're going to do that. Yeah. Yeah, not, not uh, to I'm sold. and not to mention the fact that you're going to financially support my family. These are people who are not well educated. They're also people who oftentimes are impoverished. Yes, you know, there's there's financial motive, which of course we all know. So, once financial motive gets involved in religion, you know, it's so I mean the, that's the scary part of a religion. I guess in a short, you got to suspend critical thinking, and when you suspend critical thinking, you leave an opening for you to be manipulated, and you can do things. Sometimes the manipulation can be in a positive way. Mm -hmm. You get the guy that you know he has problems in life, and he you know he lives maybe, a, but you can manipulate him into living a better life. But then you have that small group of twisted human minds out there that will use that manipulation to twist people to evil deeds. It's an aversion to uh, deductive reasoning. And, you know, shades of gray are scary for a lot of people. That's where deductive reasoning comes in. And so there is some type of simplistic comfort, I guess, in I'm faced with a scary real-life situation. Okay, is it black or white? Let yeah, me, people like absolutes, uh, don't they? Yes, they do. And let me, let I don't me check. I understand that because I, I, I don't. I don't either. There is very, I mean, besides death, what other absolutes do we really have in our society, in, in life, in our reality? You know, I mean, uh, there is nothing. There are no hundred percent. I mean, even scientists that go out and do a stat that, you know, the highest, they'll say 99.9. .9. It's like, you know, that basically means it's every time, but yeah. we're not going to say 100. But people like that. They want to know that absolutely, like it gives them comfort. And I'm like, I'm sorry, buddy. There is no comfort. You know, the world's scary. Um, you might have a tumor in your brain right now. You might have an aneurysm going to the bathroom. Like I can't mm -hmm. give you any guarantees that you're going to finish the sentence. There is no manual for life. And these, you know, really uh, extremist religious people, whether they be Islamic, whether they be Christians, wh whatever they are, they're always trying to to to. They're always trying to artificially insert that manual into life whether it be their their whatever religious text that is so to avoid the shades of gray let me go to the book let me let me see what the old book says about is it black or is it white because i know there's got to be no in between it will tell me so that i don't have to think for myself and that's where we that's where we run into uh, a very big problem you know i I would like to think that the thing that we as as evolved humans can do is all of us is to try to de-emphasize religion and that doesn't mean you can't have it okay that doesn't mean you can't go to your church and do whatever it is you do but but it certainly has no place in in government it certainly it certainly should not be when you see a politician run on it when you see a politician start bragging about their faith and all the wow. they should be downgraded for it not not elevated for that for for pandering the way that yeah. they are you know my uh, my my grandmother who's almost 90 now is one of the few religious people in my family and she's a she's a lifelong Methodist and Sunday school teacher and this sort of thing uh, typical Texas Methodists and we've had plenty of religious conversations I mean she is very much a person of faith uh, she knows I'm not but I asked her one time and I think it was fairly 
recently after 9-11 had happened, I said, you know, this is religion run amok. So let me ask you this, Grandma. If you knew that you could stop this kind of radical religious reaction in the world, but your part of it is going to need to be stepping away from organized religion. I'm not asking you to change what you believe. You can still believe in a God and all this, and there's going to be an afterlife, whatever. But there's no more organization. There's no more church. There's no more, you know, we're getting together. We're, we're, we're bolstering our faith above somebody else's uh, with our infrastructure and our collecting donations and procreate, all the rest of that. Would you step away for it for the greater good, to reduce or eliminate that violence. And even at her advanced age, she's like, yes, absolutely, I would do that. And I thought to myself, that's the right answer. Because you know what? If if I were in that position and I got to the judgment day or the afterlife, turned out there was a God. There he is. And he's looking at me and he's going, hey, what's up with this band in the church? You know, you were a real faithful person uh, until like 20 years ago. And then you you just you just quit. And I would say to them, well, you know what? I did that because we recognized that that this whole concept of organized religion was getting to a dangerous place in our society. So for for peace, you know, uh, and for for uh, uh, stabilization, we stepped away from that to put the focus on what mattered, which was treating everybody in this life, uh, the you know, with compassion, the way they should be treated. I would certainly hope that any God that I had subscribed to believe in would look at me and say, well done on that. I get why you were doing that. You were taking care of everybody else. If that God looked at me and said, well, too bad for you because now I'm going to send you to eternal damnation because you 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 tore up your membership card to my club. That seems like a petty asshole to me and somebody who I don't really want to have anything to do with to well, begin with. Even more of a dick because of his omniscience means when he created you, he knew the decision you were going to make. So he basically created you and brought you into right. existence just to suffer for all eternity. Yeah, and see, That's I think horrible. and here's the problem. So so this this part of it and I don't want I well, don't I don't want people to think that I'm saying you know I look at a tragedy like this and I go well well if nobody had any if everybody was an atheist and things like this wouldn't happen it it's not so much that I'm saying that because that's not going to cure the mental instability part of this but I think it's going to make society's reaction it would make it much more pragmatic because we would take out the concept of afterlife and and yeah. believing in an invisible gods out of you it. just kind of touched it there my thought is it is holy in a mental <laughs> issue situation once again mm -hmm. it's kind of the same realm of the firearm um, I, I see many people and i think a majority of the people use religion in a constructive way mm -hmm. i think that uh, even though myself i'm not a religious person uh, at all um i don't have problems with the most of the human beings that I meet that are religious. I think it's the fanatics, the outliers that I have an issue with. But I think the same could be said about people that are anti-gun. If you sit there and talk to about people with guns, somebody like myself probably doesn't bother people. Mm -hmm. Think about it. I'm a you know law-abiding citizen. I have no issues with anybody. Hey, if the uh, federal uh, tobacco and arms you know came in and knocked on my door and they wanted to see my guns, okay, I've done nothing illegal. You want to look? 
your dime, you know, uh, go ahead. Uh, as long as it's not too much of an inconvenience for me, I'm not having to like, you know, uh, get, you know, uh, questioned for the next 24 hours. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I have no problems being uh, a law abiding, uh, respectful and, uh, thoughtful and, uh, intelligent gun carrier. I think that being a religious person is the same note. So I think anytime religion starts to, uh, invoke, uh, suffering upon others is when we need to start having uh draw the line when you sit there and uh i i know they've changed their uh um uh doctrine on it but back in the you know uh, not too long ago when you'd have uh the catholic ministries going down to africa uh, preaching the fact that you know well you know the only thing is to be married or not to have sex but you know uh condoms and contraceptives and are, are you know against god and so I'm sitting there going, man, you're a person of faith, religion, you're supposed to be helping out humanity. You know you're in the most highly uh, uh, AIDS, uh, you know, HIV uh, transmitted uh, area of the world right now, and you're going to tell these guys not to use condoms? Yeah. Um, how do you sleep at night? Mm-hmm. And so whenever religion steps into that realm where it causes suffering and injury upon people, uh, that's where we have to draw the line. It's like, hey, if you're that guy that feels good when you go to church on Sunday and it's a way to have picnics and it's your group you want to hang out with, I don't have a problem with that. I really don't. I never attack. That's why I'm not like, you know, an angry atheist. You know, it's like, yeah. hey, that's cool, man. It makes you happy. It's the reason why you don't drink. Hey, better, you know, uh, uh, whatever. It keeps you focused in life. That works. I have martial arts. That's kind of what helps keeps me focused. Everybody kind of has something that they identify with. You know, I'm cool with that. Uh, but when I start making, you know, anti-gay, you know, type of remarks, if I sit there and go, well, you know, two men shouldn't get married. I'm like, okay, well, why? Well, because it's against God. I'm like, so selfish, buddy. I mean, give me a better reason than that. If you tell mm-hmm. me that, how? show me a, a you know, a graph on statistics and science going, well, when gay men are married in a society, this is what happens. And then it causes this and the birth rates drop. And then eventually bone cancer goes through the roof. And I'm like, all right, well, you got me listening now. But if it's just because of your religious outlook on life that you're going to, to take away from somebody else that's a, yep. a human being, then it's like, okay, well, that's where I draw the line. But then I think too, it kind of comes down to mental health. It's like, Hey buddy, you know, like in the, in the department with uh, someone who's homosexual, the guys that are, you know, very angry and hate, you know, them damn homos. I'm like, Hey, uh, we've had this discussion. Like, uh, a guy could come in the gym. We're going to train jujitsu. I've trained for a lot of years. I would be shocked if you told me right now that somebody I rolled with, I've never rolled with somebody that was gay. Oh, there's no doubt you had, just statistically. Right. It's impossible. Yes. I've rolled. And if you sit there and told me, well, Frank, if you knew beforehand, would you still roll with them? I'm like, yeah. Why not? We're not making love. Mm-hmm. It's not going to catch. Um, it's not my outlook, but I also don't care who he has sex with. We're rolling. We're doing jujitsu right now. Whatever you do when you go home in your own bedroom, as long as it's with another consenting adult of age... Do it, buddy. It's, it's you, man. Whatever you want to do. I don't care, you know? Well, and, and so and when, the, when people yeah. sit there, what was a story you told me? You're like, you know, one thing is sit there and go, you don't like Snickers. 
Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, you start a campaign for mm. Mm, Snickers. You it's really like, spend a lot of time. Yeah. Yes. You yes. start to wonder. It's like, you're like, <laughs> hey, man, why do they bug you so much? Uh-huh. Well, what's in, what's going under the hood there? You know, yeah. like, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's really an internal fight. And and see, to me, that that's a that's a a, a, a great analogy to, and actually appropriate to this because according to the father of uh, Omar Mateen, he had seen two men kissing in in the in Orlando weeks back and he was enraged by this listen here's the thing if 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 Why would something you be enraged that's that's what I'm saying Who cares? If, I mean if, it's not my thing yeah. if I see two men kissing I turn away it doesn't turn me on it's you know I'm not homophobic but I personally don't get off on it mm-hmm. it's not my thing um if I see a heterosexual couple that's 500 pounds each making out I'm not gonna watch either it's not my thing you know I see two girls, you know what I mean? Or if I see a good-looking heterosexual couple going at it, I'm going to watch. I'm not the only one. Porn's a billion-dollar business, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, But I'm not appalled by it. It's one of those things where it's like, oh, yeah, that's not my cup of tea, buddy. I'm not going to watch. Yeah. I'm good, but yeah, hey, you, do your thing, money. You can continue to function yeah. as a member. It doesn't just throw you so out of no, whack I, that you you just become in, you know, uh, in, incapacitated. No. And, and see, that right there, if you tell me, for example— uh, here's to me. Well, where, Martin was a closet. Yeah. Oh, oh I think so too. Oh, absolutely. Here's absolutely. I think here's where he where, had he was he had some internal battles. Yeah. And for it, to bug him that bad yeah. for him to do what he did. Yeah. He he you know he was a, he hated himself and why did he hate himself because his religion or his outlook mm-hmm. on masculinity was anti-gay and he couldn't live with that instead of coming to grips with it and just hey man it's not that big of a deal and it's a society we would be more understanding of people with alternate uh, viewpoints. Um, he decided that was he he had to focus his rage on somebody else here's where i think you know religion crosses a line in this in this sense if you if a person tells me well you know my my personal belief is you know i'm i'm subscribed to the bible all right so you know uh, uh, religion uh, uh, homosexuality is you know verboten uh to me all right well that's fine that's that's your choice but as soon as you tell me and my religion also says that i've got to do something about it now we have a problem yeah. now it, but when when you've got marching orders that's what it is it's when you've got marching orders well, when you when cause suffering on other that's immorality. yes that's yes. the definition of morality in my opinion is suffering on other human beings yes. if i make someone else suffer through my decision or my action that action is immoral and you know what like when you talked about the you know the the catholic church's ridiculous stance on on uh being anti-birth control in all instances again black and white no shades of gray and we're talking about you know in in africa which had the you know the highest rate of of hiv transmission has attrition rate in in the world yes so so you know again if i were to get to that afterlife to that judgment day and I'm standing in line, and up ahead of me is the, you know, the 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 Catholic bishops who are responsible for that position, or the popes, or whoever. And there's God up there going, "Hey, way to spread the AIDS. Good job on that." You know what I'm doing? I'm getting out of line. Fuck all this. I don't want to be a part of that group. If I see that going on, I'm out. These are not people I want to be with. I don't understand why that doesn't make sense to people. You know why? Why on earth? Would you feel good about being right about that? Let's just because say you are right. Because people don't want to think uh, sometimes. Yeah. 
there are a certain group of individuals that don't want to think for themselves. They want you to do the thinking for them. Same individuals, when they find out that I'm an atheist, they're like, well, where do you derive your morality from? Mm-hmm. What do you mean? You know, I'm like, I mean, why don't I rape and kill people? Because it's wrong. And I feel bad if I make another human being suffer because I have empathy. And I look mm-hmm. over and go, man, my actions, I just took this guy's woman from him and their kids are over there screaming and I'm going to drag her into a back room to rape her. Um, I'm causing all kinds of turmoil. I'm seeing human suffering and that suffering is bugging me because I'm not an animal. I'm not some beast. Mm-hmm. So it's like I didn't need some invisible guy to sit there and go hey you know your neighbor over there yeah the one with the hot wife yeah you can't go over there and rape her ah shit man well what am i gonna do saturday now you know what i mean that mm-hmm. was you know when, when in fact when people tell me that they're like well you know god i'm like no so wait a minute you don't come over to my house and try to rape my wife because you were told not to yeah, like you're just living in fear you don't feel compelled to not do that to begin with you mean somebody out of a book told you that was wrong and that's why you figured out it was wrong right i'm like you know what we're not hanging out no more because uh, you're not right right no that's that's exactly right and it eliminates the it, it eliminates the need for personal responsibility to that end too because if you don't have anything else to blame anything else on no scapegoats you know no it's the ultimate you know it's like the the the, the devil made me do it temptation story yeah and it's awesome you know? what i love about it is the lack of responsibility at times yeah you sit there and go wait a minute so this guy's a good dude and uh he just can't he can't force himself to believe in an afterlife or into a God and any structured thing. It's just how he is. Um, he can't suspend his critical thinking, but this guy is a rapist and murderer gets caught, goes to prison, converts to Christianity in jail, uh, asks forgiveness from Jesus. He's going to heaven and this guy's in a burning hell. Yeah. Wow. Like, you really have to stop thinking sometimes. Like, really? You think that if there was an all-intelligent, I mean, so intelligent of a a being that it stands outside time and space and, you know, the creator of all things, that they're going to jive with that one? That they're going to sit there and go, oh, but you asked for forgiveness. All you did was believe that that that's going to get you by, that your small mindedness thinks that that's going to work, that's going to absolve you. You know, I I think that there is forgiveness in the world. I don't think that people can't improve, but just sitting there going that, well, I'm going to believe in something that no one has proof and that's what I need to do. That's enough. You know, what's so interesting about that is the concept of heaven and hell, eternal damnation, punishment, you know, all that sort of thing has has always confused me, and for this reason. Uh, You, as a conventionally religious person, I'm going to stereotype a bit here, but I think this is a a fair generalization. The general concept of that is that as long as I believe, as long as I ask forgiveness and all the rest of that, then then I'm in and I'm good. Uh, If I don't, I risk this, you know, eternal uh, uh, torment. Well, I always bring up this point. Have you, as a, as a mortal human, have you ever forgiven anybody for something even though they haven't asked? My guess is you probably have at some point or yeah. another if somebody's close enough to yeah, you. We get over it. You yeah, know? you do. Yeah, you know what? I see where they're coming from. You know, Generally, maybe your love for them will outweigh whatever 
human fallibility they exhibited yeah, and, that upset you. And you're right, especially if there's somebody close to you that yeah. you love. Right. Your child, your, right. your sibling, your, your, okay. your parents. So if you're able to do that, if you're able to forgive somebody even though they don't ask and you're a fallible human, are you then telling me as a conventionally religious person that your deity, your infallible, perfect <laughs> have that being, emotional capacity of a human. does not? They have to have you come to them and ask for forgiveness before they can grant it? To me, that sounds like that, that deity is just petty. It sounds like they are just very uh, uh, petty and superficial and trivial, and, and that the person, the human who has the ability to forgive even without being asked, actually has an intellectual advantage on them. That doesn't make any sense to me. No, it doesn't. It doesn't so make things. any sense. In fact, I used to make jokes. Uh, probably gonna, my wife would be mad that I brought this one up, but uh, when I used to kind of like have a, if I, a friend of mine uh, that was a little bit on the religious side, and I kind of drove them nuts. So one night we're all out and uh, in the backyard hanging out, and they're very upset with my belief that I'm going to teach my kids about evolution. Mm. You know, they were a creationist that the world's yeah. only six thousand years old. That you know, uh, the devil, I guess, hid the dinosaur bones or whatever right. the case may be. That he didn't come from monkeys. And I really was starting off trying to show them, like, well, no, you're right. We didn't come from monkeys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have a common ancestor with. The, the ape now and it goes back about six million years i even tried to pull up a youtube video you know like hey you know i'll, I'll show you because this stuff's above my brain too but there's smarter guys than us that can show you and then there's other smart guys that if these guys are trying to fool us these smart guys will disprove them with science too because science is very self uh, uh you know uh, um correcting mm-hmm. in that way um, one scientist is always out trying to prove how they end up on the cover and that's how they get nobel prizes and so uh it, it got really heated you know and, and the person was angry didn't want to see anything i had to show and and uh and finally i was like well your god sucks yeah, like what mm-hmm. i'm like as a high school graduate i never even went to college i could create a better world than your god i'm like what i'm like what do you mean i'm like because I would make it to where this was really a test of people's character, but I would eliminate a lot of suffering. He goes, what do you mean? I'm like, well, diseases, cancer, accidents, I could eliminate all these things, and I could still create people here who have choice of will, and I could judge your character, but you wouldn't have the freedom to inflict harm on people around you. You would not be capable. It would be against the laws of physics for you to hurt your fellow man. You couldn't go there and rape. You couldn't do certain atrocities, but you could still be a dick. You could still be a, a petty person. You could still be an asshole. So I could still judge your character as a human being on who you are and through your actions. It's just those actions were still limited upon the fact they couldn't harm others. I would remove... Like I said, diseases and 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 uh, natural phenomenon that killed and, and maimed humans all over uh, our existence. He's like, well, you that can't be done. I'm like, really? You have the freedom of motion right now, right? You can move about yourself. You can walk around. You, you feel free to move, right? Yeah. I'm like, walk up the wall. The physics are stopping you from doing that, right? Right. So if I could figure that out with my level of intelligence, you're telling me that your God couldn't. It's a special exemption that religion gets. It really is, because there are people who are otherwise completely logical people. You know, if I, if, if I came to your door and I said, uh, listen, I've got a uh, business plan, uh, Frank. I just want you to sink all of your life savings into this idea. 
All right, I've got your attention. Uh, what do you need me to do? Well, I need you to uh, I need you to subscribe uh, an un you know to an unflinching belief in this uh, uh, doctrine. All right. Well, what can you uh, what can you show me to? But first of all, I want to you know I Frank Mir, I want to meet the guy in charge who's the boss of the operation. Well, not only can I not introduce you to him, I've never met him either. But don't let that stop you. I've got uh, I've got some uh, text to show you. Oh, okay. Is this something he wrote? Well, no. Uh, the 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 book is actually uh, a couple thousand years old, and uh, none of it was written in the first person. None of it's an original text. And uh, now, I mean, you know, you 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 got somewhere you got to be. There's you're, you're getting off this phone call as quick as you can. Yeah. Uh, and there's plenty of people like that who who would um, otherwise think that way, but when it comes to, and it probably just is the way that they were raised and that sort of thing, like you were saying earlier. Well, no, a lot of it is. I mean, they I, just you know. give it a special exemption, yeah. And so I just think that to, to, well, to put the exemption, a, guys, don't bug me. You know, like I said, because yeah. usually those people, it's like, ah, oh, we, I mean, most of my friends are not atheists. Mm-hmm. You know, most of my friends have a background where you like, if you ask them on a piece of paper, they go, well, Catholic or Christian or I'm Jewish, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whatever the case may be, but they don't sit there and try to enforce their beliefs on me. And that's why I think we're all able to get along because I'm kind of on that realm where like, well, this is how I think about things. If you want to have a friendly conversation, we can have it. But if you start imposing rules based upon what you believe in from your scripture, yeah, are going to have issues because I don't, I don't believe in your scripture. Then why should I have to follow by those rules? I think it's just that those people, and I agree. I mean, they're 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 not doing anything that's necessarily harmful, but I think they are missing a great opportunity, and I think they're missing a great opportunity to help generally diffuse a lot of this stuff. It's not that you can't still have your faith, but it would be great to see. It would be great to see a collective, conscientious effort to de-emphasize religion in our society as a group uh, not as an individual in our country yeah in our yeah exactly out not of all those civilized yeah. countries we seem to have the biggest fascination with right religion and, and almost an anti-science type of approach which that sometimes scares me too i mean i hate looking on the news and seeing another county somewhere in louisiana where it's like we're going to teach creationism or we're not going to teach this i'm like Man, how am I going to expect that the kids that graduate from that school are going to go off to college and become engineers or, or become productive members in society when you're telling them that fundamental aspects of our world that work upon science, you're cool with it when it you know identifies DNA in a crime situation, but then that same science that brought you DNA tells you that you know, the world's more than 6,000 years old. Humans have evolution, you know, and have evolved and, mm. you know, and whatnot. But now we have to spend thought there. It's like, well, man, you can't really pick and choose, you know. Special exemption status, like I said. You know, one topic we didn't talk about because we focused on the one, because mm-hmm. I mentioned a couple of times in my analogies of, of, of immorality is rape. What about the Stanford kid? Oh, yes. Brock Turner. Oh, my God. You know, uh, I don't know. I mean, I dislike him a lot, but I think I really dislike his father. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, uh, I'll tell you what, we should probably, let's save that, that one a for whole next segment? week. Uh, yeah. Cause we can definitely go a ways on that. Uh, we've got a, uh, we got a fight to talk about. <laughs> so we should probably make mention <laughs> of that. And, uh, I'll tell you what, let's do two things. Cause, uh, obviously we've gone deep tonight. Let's talk about this fight that's coming up Saturday night, UFC Fight Night 89. And then uh, before we uh, uh, say goodnight, 
I'll tell you a story about when I saw Boys to Men sing at a funeral. I actually saw them for the second time uh, this past week. I don't weekend. know if I can handle that because, I mean, with their musical abilities and then you're at a, uh, at a funeral, which you're going to be feeling pretty, uh, you know, melancholy. Yeah. And to have them, like, emphasize that type of music or that mode or mood, uh, there probably wasn't a dry eye there, huh? You'll be interested in this story, especially when you find out whose funeral it was. Uh, Frank and I went to see Boys to Men Saturday night. It was Frank's wife's birthday, and uh, we, we took our uh, significant others out and some friends of hers and Frank's, and we all went to see Boys to Men here in Las Vegas. I'll get to that story in a second. After we uh, take a look at uh, a couple of the key fights here as part of you, UFC Fight Night 89 this Saturday in Ottawa. Big implications, Frank, to the welterweight division. Rory McDonald is taking on Stephen Thompson. That is uh, number one ranked uh, Rory McDonald uh, taking on number two ranked Stephen Thompson. And to, to, to my estimation, this is to determine who will get the winner of uh, Robbie Lawler and uh, Tyron Woodley when uh, those two face off at UFC 201 uh, at the end of July in Atlanta. Demetrius Johnson also on the under, or the uh, co-main of that fight card defending his flyweight title. Uh, you know, Rory McDonald is coming back from uh, his fight. He's, he's been out of action actually for just about a year now. Uh, his last fight was that epic loss to Robbie Lawler, one of the greatest fights I've ever seen. Uh, he ends up uh, being uh, TKO'd in one minute into the fifth round, but he was ahead on the judges' scorecards going into that round, so it was a fight he was actually winning. Stephen Thompson coming off uh, a victory over Johnny Hendricks, being the first guy to ever finish Johnny Hendricks, looking spectacular in doing that. And uh, Stephen Thompson has uh, won his last five Stephen Thompson is uh uh on a very impressive streak um I guess the first question is you know do you think that Robbie Lawler comes back the same after that uh, uh Roy McDonald comes back the same after that Robbie Lawler fight because anytime you see somebody in a war like that you wonder what kind of lasting effect it might have had on him uh, I think he's resilient enough and has a good enough camp and uh, the people around him have you know I understand fighting, so I think he has a great support, uh, you know, uh, group to fall back on. Uh, I think this is a very—I uh, don't want to take anything from uh, Thompson, but uh, I think that uh, I am highly favoring uh, Rory McDonald in this fight. Mm. I think stylistically, uh, I think you know Thompson has a you know very uh, unusual style for MMA as far as a lot of the karate uh, kicks that he uses and kickboxing. Um, and so some of the opponents that he's faced, you know, uh, you know, most uh, recently in a uh, uh, what was his last opponent? Are you talking about Stephen Thompson? Yes, Johnny Hendricks. Johnny Hendricks. Thank you, man. Mm -hmm. My brain. Uh, Johnny Hendricks. I, I don't think they see that in the gym. The spinning hook kicks, the yeah. side kicks. You know, the very the, the type of movement uh, was very foreign, and I think took him off guard. I think that. Uh, you know, uh, Rory sees that a lot more. You know, up there for us at the gym at TriStar, they have much more stand-up uh, as far as open. They're kickboxing, their elusiveness. You see the kicks and even angles that uh, Rory uses. I don't think that uh, Stephen Boy is going, or, you know, Wonder Boy uh, Thompson is going to throw anything at him he hasn't seen. So I think that stylistically, I think that on their feet, I think that uh, it's a good fight. But I think that the advantages that Rory has in being a much more well-rounded martial artist with the takedowns, and with the ground and pound and his abilities there, I think it'll give him a very a huge advantage in the fight. Do you like Rory McDonald in this fight going away? Yeah, big time. Mm -hmm. 
No, this uh, I would be. This is one of those fights that I mean, because of the way the styles are matching up, I'd be shocked if uh, Roy doesn't pull off the victory. Well, this is exactly uh, the kind of win that uh, Roy McDonald I think would need to uh, get himself uh, worked back to another title shot. But I tell you what, I would love to see him and uh, Robbie Lawler rematch. I was there pers- uh, in person for that fight, and that's that's one I'm never going to forget. Their uh, their first matchup, the co-main event, also an important welterweight fight. Donald Cowboy Cerrone, who has moved up to welterweight uh, for for this fight and his last one up from uh, lightweight. He's uh, coming off a uh, first-round submission victory of uh, Alex Oliveira. He's going to take on Patrick the Predator Cote. Donald Cerrone, 11 fight night bonuses, 15 wins by submission, and a guy who uh, his last appearance at lightweight was uh, losing to Rafael Dos Anjos in a title challenge. He moved up to welterweight to take on Oliveira. He's going to stay up there, at least for now, and take on Patrick Cote. Cote has been in the UFC so long, Frank. He debuted at UFC 50 as a late replacement opponent for Tito Ortiz. Yeah, I commentated that fight. Oh, you did? Yeah. Yeah, wow. So this is one that, uh, you know, he's fought obviously as heavy as uh, light heavyweight on short notice, but more recently middleweight. He's a guy who's actually dropped down to welterweight. Cerrone's a guy who's who's going up. What do you think about the fight here? Uh, I think Cote is a very powerful puncher, and, uh, you know, he's a big guy, and he has a great chin. He he takes some hard shots. I think that, uh, you know, uh, and I'm a friend of Donald's, I think it's a scary fight. I think that uh, moving up, I think, you know, Donald Cerrone, you know, is great striking and great movement and very slick on the ground. But I just wonder if maybe this is, you know, one thing's moving up in a weight class, but then when you move up to a guy who's a big, powerful representative of that weight class, it could be scary. And, uh, you know, Donald Cerrone is a true lightweight. Uh, You know, I I don't, it scares me. makes me nervous. I think that, uh, you know, Cote is very, you know, clean striker on his feet. Uh, he might not have the uh, uh, the barrage of arsenal that Donald has, but what he the punches and kicks he does throw, he's very sharp with and very powerful. And I seen him given, uh, you know, let's, when he was a middleweight, he was given Anderson Silva till he blew out his knee. That was a pretty compelling fight mm-hmm. that he was having with him when Anderson was on his uh, title uh, defense win streak. Cote, since uh, dropping down to welterweight, has uh, amassed a record of 5-1. and one. He's on a three-fight win streak coming off a consecutive uh, KO, TKO wins over Josh Berkman and Ben Saunders. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting point with Donald Cerrone uh, in his career. Obviously, the, uh, the, the lightweight title shot that he got was, was the fight was very brief, unfortunately, and not, not competitive. That being said, it's not like he got ran out of the lightweight division. I feel like there's still a, a place for him to return to if uh, he decides that, you know, maybe staying at welterweight is, is not for him. But I, I think he's got a little bit of leeway either way. You know, I think he can, he, he can kind of experiment with uh, what's going on with him at welterweight right now, see if he can't win a couple of fights and, and get, uh, you know, into the rankings. Uh, but that being said, it also allows a little time for the lightweight division to get shaken up. You know, maybe, uh, maybe Rafael Dos Anjos uh, loses that but maybe he loses the title to eddie alvarez and then you know we've got i think too we were breaking down what does patrick ote stands orthodox correct yeah, that's right yeah against uh donald cerrone all his his only losses i can think of right now 
in the We're UFC. the left-handers. We talked about that, yeah, didn't we? we, we? talked yeah. about this. Yeah, that's I know right. he has a loss against Benson. Yep. Which controversial, but right. a loss. Right. Uh, Rafael. Yep. Uh, Nate Diaz, right? Does he yes. Have Southpaws. Yes. So we I mean, did talk about that, yeah. I think sometimes the way he stands lines mm-hmm. him up a little bit for that straight left. Uh, that could be a situation. Uh, well, maybe he's not going to be facing that here. Mm-hmm. Interesting point, too. And he is a long, fast guy. I mean, the guy spars with heavyweights. I'm not taking that away from him. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, when you put the four-ounce gloves on and you get a guy like Cote who's throwing the punches, uh, you have to fight flawlessly, and that's not easy to do for 15 minutes. Also on the undercard, uh, the battle of the talk show host versus the hockey enforcer, Sean O'Connell, taking on Steve Bossie in a lightweight attraction. Uh, Valerie K. Letourneau, one of your favorites. Remember her? Yeah. Uh, from uh, your last stint at the Fox desk, uh, Valerie is taking on Joanne Calderwood. Um, also on the undercard, Joe Soto uh, taking on Chris Beal. You know, this is a fight that, uh, I don't know, both of these guys, one if not both, may be uh, you know, at risk of being uh, cut from the UFC. They've had mixed results in competition. Beal since uh, winning the Ultimate Fighter. And Soto is the guy, if you watch EBI, if you watch Eddie Bravo Invitational, Joe Soto has had some success in EBI. I mean, he is a uh, accomplished jiu-jitsu practitioner. He's the guy who I will always remember being in Sacramento yeah. when uh, uh, when uh, Hen and Burrell fainted uh trying to make weight against uh tj dillashaw in their rematch he got pulled from that fight and the only other bantamweight fight on the card was the opener and it was joe soto i can't even remember who he was supposed to face but soto was making his ufc debut and on one day's notice they come to him and they say how about we pull you out of that opening fight we put you in the main event for the bantamweight title and you're fighting for that title making your ufc debut that's an impressive uh, opportunity. Um, scary for TJ Dillashaw. Uh, when guys sit there, they want to yeah. talk about Joe, you know, Soto taking that uh, challenge. But what about the champ? Or you know, sit there going, okay. So I've been training, you know, to face Burrell. Where if you know I have a, a win over him, and mm-hmm. if he wins, we're setting ourselves up for a trilogy. I'm going to face a guy who's his first fight. So everything I just did in my last fight by beating the guy who people were starting to argue was pound for pound one of the best fighters in the world, uh, I just knocked him out. And now I'm going to face an unknown that was on the opening card. And if I don't go out there and basically annihilate this guy, you're going to call into question my abilities. You know, if this guy pulls out a five-round fight and I get the decision and we, you know, he even wins a round, what does that say about me as the champ? I'm supposed to be at the top of the food chain. This guy's supposed to be at the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> you know, the last guy, you know, he's starting his ascent now. You know, this is his first step in. Uh, a lot of props off to TJ for taking that fight. TJ Dillashaw told me that uh, Joe Soto was a tougher opponent for him than Hinnan Burrell was. Uh, so Soto being given every chance to uh, uh, stake his claim here in the UFC, and he'll have a shot Saturday night against uh, Chris Beal. Our friend Smiling Sam Alvey uh, from uh, MMA Latest Pound for Pound podcast, he's returning to action, taking on uh, El- Elias uh, Theodoro. Uh, also, Randa Marcos, Ultimate Fighter alum, is taking on Jocelyn jones Lieberger. And, uh, the, uh, and, uh, you know, I should have mentioned too, that, uh, Letourneau and Calderwood, that fight, even though they're, uh, straw weights, that fight is going to be contested at, uh, 
125 pounds. The UFC is experimenting a little bit with doing these one-off women's flyweight fights. And I don't know exactly what the thinking is there unless they're possibly testing the waters maybe at some point for a women's flyweight division. Well, right now you only have two divisions that the UFC runs for the women, mm -hmm. 115 and 135. And, I mean, there's a big jump between a 35-pounder and a 15. Yeah. And so I, I think they need that 25-pound weight class in between. And so uh, seeing them starting to – I think early the argument was just, well, how many quality fights are we going to have with the depth of female talent out there to really divide them up amongst three divisions, you know? So first, I think that's why they only originally had the 35-pound weight class. And then they, you know, because, I mean, you had, you know, Gina Carano and, and, and uh, well, I don't know, Gina didn't fight in 35, though, did she? She was, uh, yeah, she was, was she, did she fight in Strike Force at 35 or 45? She had to have been 45. Well, yeah, because she fought Cyborg, yeah, right? Yeah, Cyborg hasn't gone to 35 and, and you know what used to happen with Carano, too? It's been years since, obviously, we saw her in action, but you know what used to happen with her is she would miss weight. And then they do the fights anyway, as yeah. I recall. Maybe yeah. it was at 35. I just well, I mean, because Julie Kinsey, she fought uh, mm -hmm. as a thirty-five pounder mo most of her career. Mm -hmm. um, so that being said, you know, then you had you know Ronda Rousey come over into strike force and made you know waves at thirty-five. So first they felt they had a markable weight class there, and then they brought in with the Ultimate Fighter and then created the one hundred fifteen pound weight class. And obviously they have a superstar in Joanna uh, mm -hmm. Jacek. When she fought, just I'm just looking up the record here. When she fought uh, Cyborg, that was for the women's featherweight title in Strike Force. So that would have been at 145 pounds. Uh, then she had a bunch of catchweight fights. Caitlin Young was at a catchweight of 144. Tanya Evinger was at a catchweight of 141. So was her fight against Julie Kedzie. Okay. So I, th as I recall, what was happening back then was I think the idea was that maybe she could fight at 135, and then when she wasn't able to make those weights because she was, you know, the star <laughs> back then, that they just went ahead and made him catch weight fights. Okay, but uh, going back to the argument of hopefully or the, the, the discussion of creating the 25 pound weight class yeah uh, i think it's necessary now there's a lot of women in there that i think that are in between that you know they walk around at 135 uh, that's a very common weight for a female athlete it's not like we're saying we're creating the heavyweight class for women you know and how many stud athletes that are females are we going to get 20 of them that are over 200 pounds yeah um you know a girl walking around at 135 and in shape go down to your local gym there's a plethora of them you know we got plenty of women at that size and so asking them to cut all the way down to 115 not the easiest thing to do some of them can't uh and they struggle with it so i think sometimes they stay at the 135 pound weight class where they're fighting girls that are walking around at 150 and they're cutting down uh putting in that in between weight class i think for them makes a lot of sense yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think it's definitely where the the future of uh, women's competition is headed in uh, the UFC because you know the 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 women have been a big success for the UFC. Obviously, Ronda Rousey leading the charge with uh, the bantamweights, but you know now I I dare say uh, Joanna and Jacek. Uh, is is helping the women's flyweights uh, on the international uh, level. Uh, I should say strawweights along as well, and she's got this great feud now going with Claudia Gedalia. That was a very closely contested fight. The first time they fought, they're going to fight again at the conclusion of this current season, of the Ultimate Fighter. So I like the fact that the UFC appears to be 
looking to uh, broaden the spectrum of uh, women's well, competition, uh, uh, not narrow talks. it. Yeah, it's warranted. You know, women are selling. People are going mm-hmm. in there, and, and I think that at first, uh, I think Dana, you know, uh, and the people, you know, the powers that be uh, saw it. They didn't want a spectacle because even female boxing, I don't think at times has the same credibility as the male counterpart. Yeah. They have. They've gotten up there, especially when it became an Olympic sport, you know, or, uh, the female, or not Olympic sport, we carried on the international level. Uh, definitely the following increase in quality of women. But at first, I think most people thought of it kind of as a spectacle. You know, mm-hmm. you had, uh, what was it, Christy, uh, Oh, man, the female boxer that was phenomenal. Oh, uh, uh, Christy Martin. Christy Martin, the coal miner's daughter. Right. Yes. So you kind of had, you know, a couple names and, you know, there were novelty, I think, uh, thought of, even though they were quality fighters. Yeah. So I think that we thought that was going to occur in, you know, the UFC. But I think that there's a even stronger background for women to fight MMA because of the fact that boxing maybe not uh, as women uh, i think culturally are drawn to as much uh you know they get punched in the face you know and culturally you know women with black eyes and busted noses is not socially as accepted mm-hmm. but when you talk about grappling grappling arts are you know the women's side of that if you go and watch a female judo match and, and jujitsu and wrestling is an extremely high level so to pull from those background and now you have so many of the uh, d3 colleges and whatnot that that have female programs you have even now we saw you know here in nevada there's a, a female state tournament being ran mm-hmm. uh you know, so it just shows that martial arts for women is definitely on the upswing, and you see it, and that's why I think that we're afforded to be able to see female fights now in MMA. Uh, the UFC doesn't is not really into doing favors for people just so they can feel like they're well. Let's throw girls in there so we look like we're, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, whatever they get for public image. Yeah. Uh, if they were not selling tickets, they're not putting on fights, and so that's the case so the girls are here because they're impressive and people like to watch them because of so many of the uh trailblazers uh as in gina carano really helped open up the doors but then obviously uh you know uh ronda rousey uh you know took the torch and took off running and and now you have holly holmes and and uh misha tate uh, you know now you have names that are how you know holding and headlining cards and joanna jajacek down there you know man you just it's it's been nothing but a a positive influence i mean i think the australian card with ronda rouse and holly holmes co-main event was yana jacek and valerie Letourneau. yeah great you had uh, the main and co-main event there were two female fights and it was sold out arena and it delivered both great fights yeah I mean, phenomenal the, fights yeah the uh the the uh, holly home obviously had one of the biggest upsets in history but that uh that that uh Jan Jacek fight was compelling as well yeah, i mean it was dominant val- but oh. it was compelling well and it was cool because uh i loved it because you came out there you really had to be a fan of letourneau at the end of it because she came out there and i and i felt won the first round yeah and then i became that much more of a fan of Jacek because here she comes out loses the first round and makes an adjustment and is able to go ahead and just keep pecking away and wins rounds two through five. Uh, And it wasn't like she just destroyed her and knocked her out in the next round. Letourneau was still in there fighting and gritty and just even though she was taking punches and still looking to land that right hand and try to drop her down, it was 
it went, even though that round by round on paper, you could sit there and go, well, Joanna just ran away with it. It's like, yeah, because of the scoring system, but Letourneau was just, she was very competitive the whole fight. It was a great fight to watch. I, I mean, it. I was watching it just as a fight fan. It wasn't yeah. like I was, all right, let me watch the girls go at it. I was excited. I'm like, wow, did you see that combo and the low kick and the counter where mm. they tried to trap and throw the right hand and take her down? It was impressive skills of martial arts. I love it that women set the bar. Uh, let's check in with a little uh, Facebook feedback, Frank. Uh, you can like our Phone Booth Fighting Facebook page. And if you have a question, a comment, thought, observation you'd like to share with the show, maybe have it read on the air, that's the place to do it. That's what James Fizoy did. James's question is this, Frank. Huge fan of Frank and your show. Thank you, James. I've been training MMA since 2007 with my primary focus being on jiu-jitsu and grappling, and I was just wondering Frank's thoughts on the gi versus no gi debate. I was also wondering if he still trains in the gi, and if not, when did he stop? That's from James Fizzoy. Uh, I, I kind of got away from the gi for a while there just because you only have so many hours in the day. And MMA uh, you know, has so many different uh, facets to it that uh, I tried to just focus on what was going to most likely give me the highest percentage of assistance in fighting. Uh-huh. Um, but as far as, you know, James asking the question, uh, you know, gi, no gi, they're two different animals. Uh, even no gi grappling is a different animal from grappling in MMA. Uh, it's a different, they have similarities and there's foundations and the basic principles follow, you know, course, but there's differences. And so, if you're going to have an MMA fight, I wouldn't say, well, just train no gi or just train gi. I'm like, well, no, you got to train MMA grappling. You know, your partners have to be trying to ground and pound you. And, you know, they have to try to throw, you know, elbows and, you know, you have to be controlled to sit there and go, well, I'm going to put a gi on. And, well, yeah, if you're going to have a gi match, train with a gi. If you want to do a no gi competition, you train no gi. If you're getting ready for an MMA fight, well, then you train for an MMA fight. And uh, the basics in all three will help you, give you a base. But as far as, you know, once you're six weeks before a fight, I wouldn't put a gi on. Even when I was heavily into the gi, I take it off when I get close to a fight because the handles and the grips are a little bit different. The setups, the timing, different. Um, the basics are the same, so it isn't like it degrades your, you know, just because you had a gi on doesn't mean that, you know, with two weeks of training, you're not going to be able to make a few adjustments and you're going to lose everything. Well, no, they carry over. Um, the only thing that I think is a more of a, uh, a critical point is the rules you follow when you train those individual disciplines. Uh, I think gi training actually probably has more application to street fighting in an altercation than no gi training. People say they go, well, no gi is more similar. I'm like, no, it's not. When's the last time you got into a fight in a pair of shorts only? Mm -hmm. How many fights do you get into at the pool? Right. Uh, last time I got into an altercation at the club, I had a t-shirt on and jeans. And when the guy changed levels because, you know, he ducked his head, he grabbed a hold of my pants, mm. you know, and I knew how to break grips and handles and hit drags with clothing on because of my gi training. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's one of those things that they both have their uh, things. I, to sit there and say one's better than the other, I'm like, well, what are we trying to do? What are you trying to get good at? Mm -hmm. That's where I, I think the, the, uh, it comes down to. But going to what I said, the, the one pitfall is the rule system. Sometimes when people put the gi on, I think the reason why it can hurt their jujitsu style is because then they'll train according to IBJJ rules. And a lot of the footlocks and reaping and some of the positions and maneuvers are illegal in gi uh, IBJJ rules. They're not illegal in 
uh, MMA. Yeah. So all of a sudden now you go and stand over a guy and he reaps down on your leg because you had him mounted and it's like, well, I don't have to fight out of that. Well, yeah, you do. The, the, the judge isn't going to, the referee's not going to pull him off and say that's illegal. And so if you train with that concept that everything's open, every submission, all uh, maneuvers, then I see even less harm in it. Yeah, for me, you know, I went, I trained almost exclusively in a gi from white to blue belt. And since blue belt, from blue to, you know, hopefully eventually purple here, I'm going to be mostly no gi. But I think that's been good because I think fundamentally, it's kind of like it's it's easier to, uh, it feels like it's easier to take away something than it is to add something as you progress in your training. So it's kind of like if we start with everything, if we start with, like you said, the fully clothed, you know, uh, uh, version and you're, you're learning how to deal with, with grips and things like that. And then once you get those fundamentals down, the idea of, okay, now what happens if we strip a lot of this away? What happens if you do get at a fight on the beach? Cause if the whole idea is learning self-defense, yeah. Okay. If it's, if it's, if it's winter, you're in a club you're you wherever most people are fully clothed but then what happens if you strip a lot of that away and yeah. people are slippery or whatever you still know what to do you don't have yeah. to have something to grab onto. i enjoy it all to be yeah. honest with you you know i think ghee has its merits and there's things about the ghee that i really love mm -hmm. uh there's things i really love about no ghee training there's things i love about mma um to me though that they're 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 kind of their own different disciplines it's like boxing i'll go in the gym and just do boxing yeah. i like boxing i love the sport of boxing uh some of it has carryover value into my mma there are some things that when i'm boxing that i'll learn maneuvers just because i like to enjoy boxing that have no application in mma i'm like well i can't do that because the guy will knee me in the face it's not gonna happen if i you know uh that's not a good idea you know mm -hmm. i can't stand that way because the guy's gonna just pull my leg out from under me and drop mm -hmm. me you know with an easy takedown and, and and that's score easily with the judges with no resistance on my part whatsoever and so uh i i think all of it has something to offer you and so you just enjoy it uh they have martial arts the one thing i do have to say though i have my children train with the gi right now because mm -hmm. i think it slows it down Mm -hmm. I think that sometimes uh, slower, uh, more friction, and so allows you to kind of learn where you're at in what places. It's a slower game uh, where sometimes the nogi, especially you know your third, fourth match in, is so sweaty and people are just kind of ripping out of things. Mm -hmm. uh, it can be sloppier and doesn't really enforce technique as much. Not to say it doesn't have it. Not to say that you, you, you just have to be that much sharper at it. But as fatigue sets in and sweat sets in, I typically think that the gi holds people to getting out of things and applying things with more fundamental uh technique yeah i i also think too that if you just get back to the idea of self-defense i think a big part of it for for me has been familiarity and comfort and confidence so it's kind of like if you if if you so nothing is unknown you know had i trained all that time no gi and never put a gi on even though i knew jujitsu to a certain level i think i would have still been a little apprehensive of the unknown i don't know i've never rolled with anybody in a gi what happens if i had a gi on what would i be susceptible to you know i don't have to wonder that because i've had it on at the same time as long as i wore it and up to the point that i trained in the gi once i started doing more no gi and had it off I didn't have to worry about that. Oh my gosh, what what would happen if I didn't have a gi on? What if it was just a pair of shorts? What if the person I was rolling with was super slippery? How would I handle? It? I don't have to worry about that question either. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it's um, 
I think that's an important uh, uh, an important question to be able to uh, answer for yourself. Yeah, another thing too that I've always done on the side is that I've tried to make sure that my submissions that I train for kind of work in all three spectrums. Mm-hmm. You know, the omoplata, an armbar, guillotine, a rear naked choke. Uh, I tried not to specialize with too many maneuvers that could only work in certain situations. It's like, well, that works great, but if the guy has a gi on, he'll just grab your sleeve. Or if the guy doesn't have a gi on, uh, not that I don't know the maneuvers and not that I don't do them, but I guess I try to keep my game much more basic. Uh, If people watch me fight, I really don't pull off moves that uh, people haven't seen. It's not like you look at it and go, wow, you know, what was that? It's like, no, it's a Kimura. That Mm -hmm. works with a gi, without a gi, or it works in the middle of a fight. Uh, it works on the beach. It works in the nightclub. It works, you know, a rear naked choke, a guillotine, uh, a straight knee bar, a heel hook. You know, these are pretty fundamental uh, uh, submissions. Uh, I've seen some guys that I've trained with in the past that have some pretty wicked gi games. But the minute we take the gi top off, they lose some of the chokes and some of their offense, and then they get lost. They don't have some of the fundamentals to fall down on and be like, well, what do you do if I don't have a collar? This one comes to us via Snapchat. You can add us on Snapchat, username Phone Booth Fight. And uh, by the way, we love it when you snap us pictures of what you're doing while you're listening to Phone Booth Fighting. We like to post those pictures. So uh, this one comes to us from Timmy B, Frank. Timmy B says, I would like to ask Frank if he's ever surprised himself coming into a fight, not feeling 100%, and still executing a game plan with relative ease. Is there a fight like that that comes to mind? Uh, I think we're always, not surprised, but I've had fights where I'm like, oh, wow, you know, that worked in that position. Mm -hmm. I think uh, uh, one fight, actually, I was kind of shocked on. It almost even caught me by surprise. I didn't go for the move because I didn't Mm -hmm. realize, we didn't even train for that ever being a, I guess the question being, you know, Timmy, did I get put in situations and prevail when I I wasn't expecting Mm -hmm. it? The one comes to mind is when I I, I choked uh, Czech Congo unconscious Mm -hmm. because in our game planning for Czech, uh, we didn't really train that, well, when he shoots a double on you, you're going to do <laughs> this. Yeah. But in that fight, because of, you know, an overhand left knocked him down, he uh, he tried to take, you know, shoot a double on me against the cage, which exposed his neck, and I uh, took the guillotine and um, was able to put him unconscious. He, he you know, he went out uh, without tapping. Uh, so, yeah, I was a little, you know, I get in that position, I was surprised, mm-hmm. uh, pleasantly. <laughs> Let's close on this, Frank. Uh, you and I went to see Boys to Men Saturday night. A little concert review from us uh, here on Phone Booth Fighting. Now, uh, we didn't just electively decide on our own, the two of us, to go see Boys to Men. It was uh, your wife Jennifer's birthday, and so there was a James a, Horn. There was a, what? It was James Horn's idea. It was. Yeah, we got to give credit where credits. Where due. was he? He was here. Uh, well. Uh, he wasn't at Boys to Men. No, the week before at Ronan's, because my youngest, yes. uh, we celebrate. He he's born on the ninth, but we celebrated his birthday uh, with everybody as a group. Yeah, uh, the weekend before. Right. Uh, yeah, uh, right before we got back from LA, right. you had the birthday. Because his party birthday was on day. Thursday, yeah, okay. so we had it on, on Sunday. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so we were all sitting out here in the backyard trying mm-hmm. to uh, converse on what you know. Help me out, guys. What do I do for oh, okay. you? Know, because I am very much uh, <laughs> a stereotypical male. Uh, I have to re- be reminded about flowers and cars, uh, and I've done better now. You know, 15 mm-hmm. years into a, a relationship, where, uh, but I'm still not great at it. You know, yeah. so here we are, a week before celebrating Jennifer's birthday, and you know, I'm like, all right, well, I'm gonna go get a card, and uh, I get flowers, and uh, someone's gonna get a cake, and uh, we'll take her to dinner. What else are we gonna do? You know, Jennifer, mm-hmm. like yourself, uh, is not a drinker. 
So, you know, going out to a club is really not high on her list of <laughs> uh, things to do. So we're like, oh, you know, uh, somebody in the group, you know, we're all sitting around with her friends and someone mentioned, oh, maybe we should go see a show, you know, that'd be interesting. And so we're now we're trying to figure out what show in Vegas collectively a lot of us haven't seen. Mm -hmm. So that way it's, you know, you know, the best, you know, bang for everybody's buck, you know. And so uh, James uh, very intelligently is like, hey, wait a minute, pulls out his phone, goes, for this amount of money, we can go and see Boys to Men. They're here. They're doing a residency at you know the Mirage. Yeah. Uh, we can go check them out. And I'm like, oh yeah, Jennifer will love that. And and collectively, everybody, the whole group, yeah. everybody, you know, yes, let's go in. You know, we're in on it. And so uh, obviously, I know who Boys to Men are. Mm -hmm. But uh, up to that point, I can't say that I have too many other songs on my iPod. Mm -hmm. Just you know, not really. A, I'm not really a, a soft music kind of guy. Mm -hmm. Most of my stuff is more you know, get your blood pumping, you know, yeah. get you to get it going uh, type of music. And so uh, when uh, he said that, we we got that going. So we got you know, James Horn came up with that one. Okay, well, I get. What he was, and then he bailed on us. He yeah. <laughs> no. uh, all right. He had he had some family. He has some you know. Yeah. Go visit back east. Well, I guess sparring partners aren't uh, just good for training. Occasionally, they're good for party planning. No, and James is a great one to yeah. use because I always make jokes. That's like my wife's. Uh, she doesn't have any brothers, uh -huh. but that's her younger brother. Oh, okay. Uh, they okay. are so much alike. When I go out of town, like yeah. there's times we're eating dinner and you know together. You know, we spend a lot of time before fights. The week of it's just the two of us and uh, you know hanging out. Or and there's times I just look at him. I just shake my head. I'm like, man. Your sister is just like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well we uh, so so we go to see boys to men Saturday night here uh, at uh, at uh, the Mirage in Las Vegas and uh, I thought it was a great show I uh, I, I my my girlfriend had a much better knowledge of boys to men that was right in her wheelhouse that was like her age demo I don't know if you turned around at any point and saw her dancing and singing all the words twice, yeah. <laughs> she was into it yeah it's something yeah. she's enjoying herself yeah so so I I enjoyed them uh, quite a bit they did some uh, some like Motown throwback songs and it was actually uh, kind of interesting the way that it bookended our podcast discussions because we had Paul Stanley from Kiss on last week he was actually talking about his love of Motown and that music and that's uh, the songs that he does in his side project, Soul Station. So it was kind of two weeks in a row that we were indirectly uh, linked to that that genre and time period of music. But it, it was a great show. Really enjoyed watching it. So it it occurred to me that uh, I have seen Boy. That was the second time I've ever seen Boys to Men. The first time I'd ever seen them in concert. But the second time I had ever seen them sing, because the only other time I've seen them sing was at a funeral I attended. You ready for a good funeral yeah. story? All right. You always have good stories. Well, Hit me up. You you were, were mentioning off air earlier we're doing a guest spot on MMA Complex and you were talking to the guys about my uh, eclectic mix of friends. Here's one that I'm sorry you never got a chance to meet. Rick James, the super freak. Oh, yeah. Rick was uh, was a friend of mine in his latter years. <laughs> that makes so much sense that you were friends with Rick James. <laughs> he was he was a real character, and and you know Rick uh, passed away, and and um, I I was at his funeral, and it was a funeral like none other I've ever been to. Um, we get there, it's uh, it's in uh, it's in L.A. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, media there and the new satellite trucks and all that kind of stuff. You know, Rick had a long history of drug abuse. Unfortunately, I, I think it's one of the reasons he liked being around me was because I was safe, you know, and he, he was very much a product of his environment, you know, and whenever he was around me, he wasn't doing drugs, but 
he knew, I think, that as soon as he got around somebody who was doing them, he was going to do them. I think that's one of the reasons he liked having me, you know, around. Felt safe when I was in his his sphere because he knew I wasn't going to be a part of that. Uh, ultimately, though, that's what he succumbed to. So at his funeral, uh, some very interesting aspects to that funeral. First of all, uh, security provided by the Nation of Islam. Uh, Louis Farrakhan officiated the funeral. Now, Rick had no ties. Well, I was going to say, I didn't know Rick James was Muslim. He wasn't. He just, you know, the... the uh, How'd that the, connection be? Well, you know, Louis Farrakhan can, uh, can hijack publicity opportunities with the best of them. And I don't know who was in the family was involved in the funeral planning or whatever, but uh, between Louis Farrakhan offering to officiate and uh, I guess uh, offering the Nation of Islam as security, somebody took him up on it. So uh, I, first time I, and only time to this day I've ever seen Louis Farrakhan preach a sermon in person, but I was right there in the pew to uh, witness it at the uh, at the church. So there's Louis Farrakhan up there. Um, I attended with Ron Jeremy. Uh, we're walking up the... Uh, that has to be the start of a joke. So I went to a Rick James funeral right. with the Nation of Islam and Louis Farrakhan uh, <laughs> putting it on. Yeah. And my buddy, Ron Jeremy and I... Yeah. My, my, my buddy, the celebrity Jewish person, <laughs> now uh, enters into the equation. So we're, we're walking up the door. Let me explain to you. When I pick Ron up for the funeral, Ron, is, um, Ron has a uniform that he wears. Uh, on any given day, Ron is going to have on from uh, uh, the ground up. He's going to be wearing Crocs. He's going to wear uh, a pair of sweatpants and a T-shirt that typically has some sort of dot-com advertisement that was given to him for free. Because this was a funeral, he was wearing all that, but he put a black blazer on over it for the I, funeral. Yeah, I dressed it up, huh? Yeah. So we go. We Sweatpants, walk, huh? Yeah. Wow. We walk up the driveway. Is that a sign of just you phone it in now? Or you oh, just, yeah. When you show up, everybody you're known as a guy just wears sweatpants and yeah. Crocs. And how about this? Uh, a lot of times, no underwear. And if you know Ron, well, I mean, he's not the—he's not a small man. No, if you if you know Ron, then uh, a lot of times you're you're really seeing a—he—he's casting a, a wide shadow, uh, so to speak, there by that com commando uh, elective. So we're walking up because the most guys can't wear sweatpants commando style. I mean, I'll do it around the house. Mm -hmm. But it, you can't walk out like that. It's, it's a little obscene. Right, right. And uh, in his case, it is... Uh, More obscene than most. It really is. <laughs> so, yeah, perfect for a funeral. So we're uh, walking up the driveway of the uh, the chapel there, and there's a lot of press. I've got I've actually got a news clip of Ron talking to a reporter. It was almost kind of it was weird. It was, like, it was almost like there was a red carpet aspect to it. We're stopping and, you know, talking to reporters that are trying to interview you. And I've got a great clip of ron telling some reporter that he was just certain this had nothing to do with drugs and i'm just in the background rolling my eyes like oh god well the toxicology report comes back but um we go into the church they set us down we're sitting right next to stevie wonder and uh, who later gets up and sings at the uh, at the funeral along with boys to men boys to men gets up and does uh 
hard to say goodbye to yesterday that song we saw him play saturday night sing saturday night it was great very moving rendition stevie wonder gets up and starts out by talking about his friendship with rick james uh but then breaks into spontaneous song and the microphone it was one of those deals where the microphone is in the podium like the cable is running down through the podium that he's standing at and if you've ever seen Stevie Wonder perform you know he can get very physically animated so when he starts singing he kind of starts moving around and hopping around yeah I mean, well he's using the piano head right. bouncing back and forth well he's grabbing the mic maybe not realizing that the microphone cable is going through the podium the casket and it's an open casket funeral is right at the foot of the stage underneath the podium and the podium is starting to rock side to side a bit because stevie wonder is really uh, being moved by the spirit which causes stevie wonder spotter to have to come out he's got a guy who kind of helps navigate you right. know well, he can't see what he's doing right so he's got so the guy's kind of like down at the the foot of the stage over Rick's casket, kind of keeping an eye on the the podium. So if it worse comes to worse, the podium falls off the stage. He could catch it before it hits Rick's casket and bonks his corpse. So everybody's the doing the math in their head, seeing this impending yes. Yes. YouTube video about to occur. Yes. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Ron Jeremy's cell phone is ringing and he answers it. That was embarrassing. That he'll do that on you. He'll no answer. Way. Yeah, he'll answer a cell phone call no matter where he is. At a funeral. Yeah, he's sitting right that right next to me, and I hear him go, "Hello, uh huh. Oh, hello. Yeah. No, I'm at uh, I'm at Rick James' funeral right now. Yeah, where? Uh, yeah. And he's you know, somebody talking to him about doing some bit part in a movie or something like that. So he's got a cell phone no. conversation going. Yeah. I look up on stage and the trumpet player, they had brought on Rick's old backup band, right? To be like, because it was a musical event and they had different people performing. Uh, the trombone player who is standing right next to Louis Farrakhan just fires up a joint just right there in the chapel. And the craziest thing was uh, I see him on stage fire up the joint, and I notice people in the congregation there start pulling pot out of their jackets and smoking it too. California, right? California. Yeah, I don't know the laws there because. Well, this was this is a number of years ago. I mean, yeah. this was back before uh, you know it was there weren't dispensaries on every corner. But that being said, I mean, it was just it was a, a real irreverence uh, for the occasion, I guess I should say. But the uh, the height of it all, the height of this this whole experience, was that uh, Jamie Fox hosted the wake at his house later that night. Eddie Murphy had paid the tab for the whole thing for the whole funeral because you know Rick and uh, Eddie Murphy recorded a record together once upon a time, and Eddie decided he wanted to get into music, and so they they went back a ways, and Eddie uh, paid for for all the funeral expenses, and then Jamie Fox had the wake at his house. So, uh, I, uh, this is sort of complicated, but I, uh, I was in town anyway because I was doing a series of radio shows and I was on the air every night, uh, uh, during that time broadcasting back to Dallas. So the funeral went on very long because it was a Southern funeral. It was one of these deals where it was hours on end, you know? And uh, so I was running late. I actually had to leave there, go do my radio show, and then come back later on to the wake at Jamie Foxx's house. So um, my ex at the time is uh, is with me. And, uh, you know, I don't know how 
maybe this was confidence in the relationship. I don't know. Maybe this would have made you feel uncomfortable. But because I had to go do my broadcast and I knew this this wake was the next thing we had to attend uh, at Jamie Foxx's house, I just went ahead and let my ex ride with Ron Jeremy over to the uh, over to the wake, and I was going to meet him there later. So I go to the studio, I do my show a couple hours, I have the directions uh, to the wake, I go over to Jamie Foxx's house, I walk in, and uh, my, my ex, I see her, and she comes up to me just very sort of red-faced. And I was like, what's wrong? She goes, well, she goes, you need to uh, say something to the host because we're the ones who brought Ron Jeremy and he just got a blowjob from a funeral goer in the bathroom. And I was like, what? And he's like, yes, can you believe it? Can you believe he just did that? And I was like, oh, God. All right. So I go to find Jamie well, I mean, Foxx. He's going to answer a cell phone, I guess, his reverence for uh, yes. the moment is probably. True, true. So I go to find uh, Jamie Foxx, who I had not met before, by the Th way. That kind of shocks me a little bit. Which part? Uh, that there are... Obviously, Ron Jeremy in the sex industry and pop culture is an icon. Uh -huh. uh, my childhood, you know, a lot of videos I've watched of him. Uh -huh. uh, I guess not to say it's insulting, but as a woman, like maybe the idea of sleeping with him, yes, you know, you know. Uh, and I know that he doesn't have any diseases, you know, that mm -hmm. would be a public, you know, be a big deal. You know, he's worked you know, in the industry for many years and mm -hmm. you know, obviously was tested on a regular basis. But uh, for a woman to want to put that part of his body in her mouth, it's like, well, it seems like, you know, the guy's been with like, what, 19,000, 20,000 women or something. It would be tough to calculate at this point. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Well, he, he found somebody, uh, and she wasn't uh, letting her grief uh, keep her from, uh, you know, ducking into the guest bathroom with him for a little bit. So so I am uh, uh, saddled with needing to, you know, uh, present the apology to our host. So I go and uh, find Jamie Foxx, who I had not met before. So that's what made this really particularly awkward. Yeah, your first conversation with the guy. Yeah. Sorry that my buddy was getting his dick sucked in the bathroom. Right, Your right. bathroom. I find him. Uh, he's, he's got a real nice place. And, you know, he had one of these, you hear about these panic rooms that celebrities have, you know, where there'll be like kind of a safe room, but it's got like all the cameras, the surveillance cameras and stuff like that of the whole property. Okay. I kind of found him in this sort of area. Uh, not he wasn't feeling a security risk or whatever, but I think for whatever reason, he was just in kind of that room that had all the security cameras in it, stuff like that. And uh, I walk in, introduce myself. You know, I was a friend of Rick's and all that sort of thing. He was too, and we're talking for a second. I said, listen, uh, I just got here. Uh, kind of a long story, but, you know, I had to go check in with work for a couple hours. Uh, I was just told that, uh, you know, we brought Ron Jeremy over, and I think there may have been something going on with him and somebody in one of your bathrooms or something, and sorry, you know, if that's uh, it's probably not the, you know, we've breached some sort of etiquette, I'm sure. Uh, and he just looks at me and he goes, you know, he goes, I think Rick would have wanted it that way. <laughs> And I looked at him and I'm like, you know what? I think you're right. And it was like this big sigh of relief. I was like, oh, okay. Well, if you're okay with it, then everything's all right. Well, I mean, if some guy has to get blown in your bathroom. That's right. At least you have a cool story. It was Ron Jeremy. You want, and you want to feel like it was a tribute to someone. Yeah. yeah. And even more impressive again, he showed up 
in sweatpants and Crocs and still got a blowjob. <laughs> what kind of star power does this guy have? One of these days we'll get him on the show. I'll get. I him mean, that's pretty studly. I mean, yeah. I don't think that I would pull that much. I mean, in another universe where I didn't have Mrs. Mir lynching me or you know <laughs> trying to throw lead my way, but if I was a single guy, I don't know how many parties I could show up in commando in a pair of sweatpants and Crocs and still receive fellatio. He's confident. Yeah, that, he's uh, confident. Pretty impressive. One of these days, we'll get him on the show. I'll get him to tell you that story and uh, a number of others that we have together that are good ones. But that's uh, for another broadcast because uh, we've gone way late into the night tonight. Uh, this has been Phone Booth Fighting. Once again, now available twice a week. Uh, you could maybe tell by the length of this broadcast why we needed to go to two episodes a week, Frank. We couldn't get it all into one week. Uh, fights to talk about, uh, current events to debate, uh, world's problems to solve. Uh, you know, how, how are we going to pack all that into one episode? So now we have two new episodes available every Tuesday and Friday. You get them at phoneboothfighting.com. You get them uh, on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. If you're on iTunes, please click on uh, those five stars. Give us a five-star review, won't you? It's very helpful to us to keep it up at the top of the ratings. And if you have a moment, write us a favorable review. A couple of quick five-star reviews here, Frank, before we uh, bid everybody adieu. This one uh, comes from uh, Grobdo. He says, Frank, this podcast was such a pleasant surprise to me. It starts down the track with MMA, and where it ends up is anyone's guess. I look for two things in a podcast. Does it make me smile, and does it make me think? Richard and Frank succeed in doing both in their own unique way. Listen once, and you will join the masses as a subscriber in a sea of podcasts. This, or I'm sorry, in a sea of podcasts, this is a wave that you definitely need to catch. It's a very nice review. Very nice review from him. How much did you pay him? (laughs) I don't even know that person. Uh, Also, this one uh, from uh, uh, Cuthy963. Cuthy says, let me just say, I started listening uh, a couple of months ago in hopes to find a podcast in in touch on the technical side of MMA. I got that and so much more. Both Frank and Richard are very knowledgeable on the subject and deliver that knowledge to the listener with ease. It has only increased my enthusiasm when watching MMA since I'm understanding it more and more. Also, I absolutely love that they discuss topics besides fighting. I appreciate the philosophy and viewpoints on various subjects and the comedic touch uh, peppered into the conversation. Both guys seem to be very open to opposing opinions, uh, with the exception of cuckolding, LOL. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I, I might have found something I dug my heels in on. <laughs> and speak very candidly about their thoughts. Lastly, thanks, Richard, for putting a vegan lifestyle out there in a positive light without coming off as forceful. Being vegan for the last couple of years myself, it's very difficult to meet other people living this way uh, that I'm able to connect with. Keep up the great work, guys. That from Cuthy963. So thanks, guys, very much for those five-star reviews on iTunes. We appreciate them. Keep them coming uh, at uh, iTunes. And uh, like I said, the best thing you can do for phone booth fighting here is tell a friend. Spread the word about the podcast let them know we're twice weekly now how they can subscribe and uh check us out you can follow frank Mir on social media twitter and instagram at the frank Mir. you can follow me on social media twitter and instagram at richard hunter follow the show on social media on instagram 
at Phone Booth Fighting and on Twitter and now Snapchat at Phone Booth Fight. For Frank Mir, I'm Richard Hunter, and we will be back with you. What we're actually going to do is uh, Friday, we're going to swap cast with the great Burt Kreischer. Uh, if you know comedian Burt Kreischer, uh, host of Burt the Conqueror on Spike TV, Frank and I did a uh, swap cast podcast with him. We're going to post that up for you guys on Friday. He's got one of the highest rated uh, comedic podcasts going on iTunes, so it's the three of us for the duration, just uh, uh, really uh, freestyling. And we had a great time doing this. I think you're really going to like this on uh, Friday. So that will be uh, Friday's episode. Look forward to that. And until then, I'm Richard Hunter for Frank Mir. We appreciate you listening to Phone Booth Fighting. Everybody was But they fought with